Hey guys, and welcome back to the Skullcast for episode 22. We got the regular crew with you with us today, Azil and Griff. Well, we'll just jump right into it. We got a big episode planned. Um, you know, a couple episodes back, we did a three-part series on Skull Knight, and uh, we kind of had some trepidation about how to move forward with that. It was such a big topic to cover, uh, but everyone seemed to enjoy it. Actually, I think people enjoyed it more than I actually enjoyed recording it, but um I think there's still a lot more we can do with that type of thing. So I wanted to try and do one about Griffith. So I did a similar approach. We're going to talk about Griffith uh, across the whole series, uh, piece by piece in chronological order through the series. But before we get to that, a uh, new episode landed this past week, 331, which brings us back to uh, current times after a three-part flashback for Guts. So uh, there's a lot to talk about in this episode because – it's kind of a recap uh, in a certain aspect, um, but I also think it sets a tone for what we can expect from the future. What did you guys think of 331? Awesome. Yeah, Great. I thought it was uh, – there was a lot to like about it, actually. I was surprised. I didn't think there'd, it would be so chock full of different kinds of goodies. Yeah, it, it is pretty dense, actually. More so than I expected. Yeah, I mean, even independent of the fact that it had, like, two extra pages, which, you know, you didn't really notice in the scope of things. Yeah. Extremely dense. Like, uh, did the transcription for it. Dialogue that I'm used to transcribing. I think I said that before, the last episode, but there's a lot of text in this one. Good God. Uh, and there's a lot of ground that they cover as well. They kind of touch on each of the individual character relationships, apart from a couple uh, aside ones. Like, we don't see Azan in here, I don't think. Uh, nope. and, and we don't see much between uh, Farnese and Rodrigo. Or Rodrigo. God damn it, Roderick. <laughs> you know, what the fuck? Yeah, yeah. Well, everyone else is pretty much, you, you get a little piece of you, it. You might have to change that username's name just for the purpose of like, getting it straight to the podcast. But, uh, yeah, and, and it, it also, it kind of quickly covers Gut's whole predicament from... Uh, what 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 he expects to happen at Elfhelm, to what Casca's condition will be, to the Beast, then to what he'll do after this is all settled, which that panel with Griffith, kind of extremely <laughs> densely approaches this complex complex issue. Yeah, I was really impressed by it. Like I said uh, in the episode thread, I think uh, it's pretty much just summarizing, you know, many plot lines that have been you know laid uh, a long time ago, and just like. You know, reminding the viewer of many things that are going to culminate in uh, Elfhelm. Mm. Yeah, do you think they wrote it that way to remind readers, or, or do you think... Yeah, really? I mean, well, there's, you know, it's uh, it's not just a one thing, you know, like, it, it has many uses, so there's the fact the characters are thinking about it, because yeah, it's natural, you know, since it's going to, you know, let's say, culminate soon, but it's also, you know, I think it's also to remind the reader. Mura does it uh, from time to time, you know, he's going, he, he summarizes things in a very clever and uh, underhanded way, like, he's not really going ahead and telling the reader, yeah, I know you don't remember this, so I'm going to summarize it for you, but he does it anyway, you know, so like, this guy, oh yeah, I remember that, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to imagine that that casual Berserk reader is like, oh, I forgot the Skull Knight warned him about what the uh, Elf King might do for Casca. Like, oh, I forgot about that extremely important line, you know? Yeah, well, you know, you know who it is. People do forget these things. Sure, yeah. I forgot there was a tree in that episode. <laughs> well, that you know, did happen. Yeah. But, uh, 
Well, you know, it's almost to be expected after like not. It's not even. It's not really a break, but I mean, just an aside like that. When he does something else, he'll usually always like he's very, yeah, so deliberate in his approach. Like he's gonna remind you of everything that uh, yeah. that he left off with. And it's interesting to me is like even though you know later in the episode it touches on so much stuff you know personally with guts and you know everything you just talked about, but just like pages five through ten pretty much retouches on like you said every like character sort of like relationship like all the triangles going on you know it's like you got you know how frenese feels about guts and serpico looking in in on that and then casca comes in and then you know frenese feels weird yeah and you know it's just but i mean it's all very subtle i mean there isn't anything you know earth shaking going on but it's just you know it's in their expressions and things like that to remind you like oh yeah these things are still sort of the you know little elephants in the room right what what do you think that was actually one of the more mysterious parts for me and obviously no translation we're kind of uh speculating ourselves what do you think serpico's apprehension is in that scene i think it's on page seven when he's watching farnese look really seriously and worried at guts He's looking concerned uh, for her, and, and I wonder what that's about. Uh, my first thought well, was, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, he, he's done that before. You know, I'm not sure he's really concerned. He's just, to me, we don't really know. His expression is impenetrable, so it's hard to say whether he's happy with what she's doing, mm-hmm. or he's unhappy, or he's concerned with uh, you know, her feelings for guts, or he's happy with how far she's come you know, to you know, becoming herself, a useful person who can you know, really stand by herself. So, yeah, that kind of stuff. Hmm. What's interesting to me is he's kind of he ends up playing referee because at first he's watching that going on and then he's <laughs> like he sees Casca get up and it's really like, oh uh, hey guys <laughs> yeah it's like he's sort of just in the middle of it and I don't know yeah he, you know it doesn't seem like it's that loaded he could just be checking in I mean yeah. even he has more affection for guts now than previously they've well, got yeah. just some camaraderie what I think is important though is that I mean it, Mira chose to show that to readers it's, I don't think it's simply a, a he, he was there to see it. I, I do think there's some kind of concern being. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. How it's directed. Like I, my first thought was that he's worried that Farnese is, is too attached to guts. I don't mean romantically or anything. I just mean like that he's he's become so integral and important to her that uh, if anything was to happen to him, maybe she couldn't stand by herself or something like that. Well, you know, there's also the fact uh, you know he and Farnese were very very close, and I think. You know, Mira does this to show us that Serpico's chosen to, like, stay in the background, to be unobtrusive and let her do what she wants while he just, he's somewhat left behind, you know. So I think it also shows who, you know, who he is, what his character traits are. Like, he's, he's choosing deliberately to, you know, stay back and to let her do what she wants. He's checking in on her, but he's letting her, you know, become her own person, so... Yeah. He's going to let her do whatever she wants. What an amazing character development for him. I mean, he, yeah. <laughs> the way he used to control her life. I mean, <laughs> yeah, but, that's true. yeah, I get the point. Well, <laughs> no, but it, it just, I just meant earlier, you know, it works on, it works on all these levels. I mean, you can see it, you know, on, it works on all these levels simultaneously. So yeah. I think you, sure. you can say it's, you know, all those things at the same time and it, it works. One other thing that really struck me about this episode, before we even get into like the big wow at the end, but um, the very first thing I thought when I looked at it, the first first shot we see of Guts was his face looks a little different. And, and at first I thought it was simply a combination of things. First of all, it's, it's been a long break. We're coming back from a period where it was a flashback, so we're used to seeing Guts in a young state. 
and, and there's this big light flashing on his face from the light source. But he does yeah. look younger. I mean, I, I don't know what it is. If, if it's if it maybe gets a subtle, slowly developing style change, like we've seen. I, s- I think oh. his face is actually more fully fleshed. You know, like he's less gaunt looking, and uh, so yeah. that makes him look look younger. You know. Well, it's also, I mean, on pages nine, page nine, there's a couple different examples of it. Like they have this side shot of him. He looks almost handsome for for a once. For yeah, he's, he's looking pretty rough for a while. You know, look through volumes thirty five and thirty six, so, looking well, pretty it, angular. There's, yeah, there's a thing though is uh, when the worlds were merged. You know, he's a. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I think you know a lot of his scars and old wounds. You know, were somewhat you know vanished. Yeah. You know, erased. When uh, you know the astral met the corporeal, so I I think uh, that played a role. But obviously, after even after you know what he endured uh, within the sea god, yeah, I think uh, it also maybe the fact that has have uh, been you know working you know hard on him along with yeah. Fanesin okay to to heal. Sure, I mean that's the only really thing I think I can say that that would denote a uh, potential style change though is just Gut's face. Everything else looks par for the course as far as. Uh, where the characters are drawn. Gus just struck me as looking a little different. So Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I agree with that as well. And like I think it's a combination of, you know, we we just saw that episode where he was younger. Mira just drew that episode where he was younger. So I mean there could be, you know, spillover, you know, sure. both for author and reader there subconsciously. And the the shot of him that really sticks out to me is on page uh, sixteen when mm-hmm. he at the very top when he's rolling over. Yeah. He, to right. me he looks particularly like not even necessarily like young, like young, young, but just like old school, yeah. like yeah. guts there, yeah. like volume, you know, I don't know, 14 or something. Yeah, the shape of his so, face, yeah. Yeah, and that one really jumped down to me. I like a lot of the, I also like the shot of Skull Knight below that. That's like one of the most haunting <laughs> Skull Knight images. He looks like he's yeah. looking down at you in bed or something. <laughs> like, uh. It's a pretty <laughs> ambitious shot, yeah. 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 Um couple other things uh I, I only noticed through transcribing it with my rough 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 translation but uh he does say at the end of his little uh self monologue here that he's he's saying basically once after things are settled with casca after and then i will and then yeah. this picture of griffith yeah and then of course it, it kind of reminds the reader that you know getting to elf Helm, it was is, is merely like a, a kind of a side trek for him uh, for, for settling everything that he has in his life, so yeah, it's been the focus well. for so long that he hasn't really thought about Griffith like that in a while. I don't think, which well, is kind of interesting because, like, I don't know if we ever thought he was gonna like. I think, as you've said this before, correct me if I'm putting words in your mouth that you think that you know there's gonna have to be something that sort of gets him re-energized on that. Like maybe he would give up on it and try to you know settle down with Casca, but you know Griffith sort of won't let it happen one way or another. Well, not really, yeah, give up on it, but yeah, I think... Uh, or he'll choose uh, her over that, but then yeah. that'll, you know, get in the way. Yeah, yeah I think it, it it will come back to, to them, you know. Like, it's not just, uh, they'll stay in Alfam, they're cured, and then, well, let's go kill Griffiths, you know. I think he's going to be there, there, and, you know, you know, in one way or another, they're going to, to be forced to, to go get, you know, get him anyway. Well, it's just a thought, but yeah, I think uh, th- there may, might be an element like that, hmm. which will make it more than just uh, personal revenge. Cool. 
And well, while we were on the topic of uh, his, you know, the physical changes and sure. and whatnot, uh, I think it's interesting that Mira's, uh, you know, reiterating the fact uh, the using the armor is taking a toll on guts, you know. Right. Yeah. So that that picture we see of his hand trembling, his mm -hmm. eye, you know, his eyesight. Uh, yeah, and he's reminded of what the skull knight told him. So I, I think, uh, yeah, I think he's going to play a role soon, of course. And it's it's pretty interesting. It's also part of what you know all the stuff Mira has been you know uh, summarizing again for the reader, including you know the part where the beasts arrive after yeah. the you know the, he thinks of the eclipse. It's right. you know yeah all that stuff is reminiscent of volume you know, seventeen. So yeah, yeah, Very I think reminiscent I... of the beast curled around. It's like a beast pillow. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think I actually took that part for granted. The the that it's reiterating the effects of the armor. Uh, on my initial read through of it, but yeah, it is kind of haunting. Uh, what is happening with his eye? Is it that the light source for him is fading? Uh, with that the lantern, he's looking at the lantern. I can't tell what that effect I think is. He can, like, very, my interpretation was is that he's looking at the lantern, and that's that. You know, he can barely just see that glow swinging back and forth or whatever. Uh, uh, like, yeah, that's all he can see. see, and that's why he yeah. rolls over and doesn't want to look at it anymore. Because right, yeah, yeah. yeah. I do remember that his condition and, and what his condition would be after he came out of the Sea God was one of the big topics back and before we came back to this, you know, the scene. We wanted to know in what condition he'd be in. And, of course, the episode starts sort of with saying the elves are exhausted from healing. I'm like, oh, okay, he's okay, basically. <laughs> so, yeah. But, of course, the armor has taken its toll on him. They can't do much about that. Yeah, so. well, I think it's interesting, actually, because uh, Miraz is sort of established that physical damage can be healed, you know? Like, he's, he's, taking, he's taken punishment from Grunbelt before and from the armor, you know, when it was patching him up uh, in a bit of a barbaric way and, you know, many things like that. And now it's it's somewhat established that it's not going to be a big danger for him because there are already busy elves and such. But now the damage, you know, you know, more insidiously by the armor is what's going to be the real big deal. And uh, that's something the elves can't heal. Right. And, of course, the amazing, fantastic ending. Uh, <laughs> scrolling through it the first time, I had this, I just had this huge smile on my face. It was just a really impressive turn of events, I guess. I didn't expect to see something so big picture magical to happen on screen uh, so quickly, I guess. Uh, the way it all happens, the way it, the way it's portrayed, uh, the tree as kind of a body of water that the kid falls through and then transports, and then it's a falling star. It's just also carefully constructed uh, mechanism. It's just very, it's just fascinating. It's, it's almost, you know, science fictiony in the yeah. way it's, you know, it's shown. Yeah, he really thought it through. Um, but uh, Griff, you mentioned this in the thread, but I wanted to see if you would elaborate. You mentioned the falling star we see in volume twenty-three, but I, I I don't necessarily think there's a connection there, but maybe you. Well, can... I don't I don't think it's the okay. kid there or anything. I'm just mean like you know it just brings it to mind. It bring, like you uh, know, I mean I guess there's uh you know all falling stars could be people traveling through this tree, or it could be uh you know in the berserk world, or it could just be you know that gives an appearance, or maybe this was just purely sort of an artistic uh, choice. Well, I mean, I think but, uh, it naturally could bring it to mind because that that, it, that episode was also titled uh, Night of the Falling. Yeah. Think, so. And it also it's it shows Griffith you know very prominently in that sure. scene at the end you know and it's like they're sort of he's introduced you know pretty directly the idea that either this is somehow associated with uh, the King of the Flower Storm or you know and 
less directly Griffith. Mm. Like, you know, we saw Griffith on that page and then on the same page it transitions to the moon and then the next, you know, we see the kid and he's staring at him. This yeah. big creepy, dare I say, you know, hawk-like stare. <laughs> and then, you know, the kid goes uh, flying through space to yeah. his next destination, wherever that may be. And we see that sort of that shooting star that we saw before when it was talking about how things were going to become, you know, so legendary and magical in uh, yeah. that previous episode. So it's got, just it's interesting. He's got that stare down pad at this point, man. That enigmatic. So oh, that was something. huge. He looks like he, he looks older. He looks a lot more mature there. He looks like the yeah. adolescent in the moonlight staring down. I think, I think he is aging between sequences yeah. a little bit. Yeah, so. yeah. He's obviously taller, so right. yeah. He's getting more dread. <laughs> we also get this image when Shirk is talking about the, um, the Elf King. Yeah. Of wings, which was really fascinating to me. And of course, it's, she's simply kind of conjuring up an image. Of course, it's not supposed to be super detailed or anything, but uh, I, I had not considered wings on the Elf King as far as the description is concerned. Of course, we also see her with cherry blossoms surrounding her when she's talking about him. So that, we've seen that before a, a couple times. Yeah. I think at this point, associating cherry blossoms with the Elf King, which of course makes us think of Cheech, or it makes my me think of Cheech and her association with a plant, kind of reinforcing that to me, to me anyway. Yeah, and there's a fact his name. I mean, there's you know flower in it, so right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It implies you know that connection. But yeah, and he's a he doesn't just have you know uh, the usual four wings like you know Puck and uh, Ivara. Yeah. He, he has more, so and they are bigger, so yeah. Yeah. It actually looks kind of gross. Like, I think it's just the hint at it, like the shot. Yeah, I can see all sorts of things in there. Yeah, yeah. looks like Like right now I can see like eyes and a nose too. (laughs) It's like an elf apostle, you know. I I can see. A lot of times, a lot of times, Mira will do these little looks like synaptic reactions on a brain scan or something. Uh, Yeah, supposed to make an emotional thing. When, when I think when Flory holds up the Behira, it has this like brainstem looking thing happening on screen for effect. Yeah, or but like lightning little, or something. Right. I mean, here I think it is supposed to be wings and what other else beyond that, who the hell knows, you know? It's just an imagery type thing. I do think well, it's since, funny. Go ahead, please. Well, here. since we're sort of, you know, trying to figure out all these connections, like it's interesting that the wings, you know, you can see sort of like, uh, yeah, the, you know, what could be veins in the wings also looks similar to what you see in the moon later. You know, for the tree, the branches, hmm. it can also sort of look like veins. I mean, there doesn't necessarily, you know, there probably isn't any connection, but it's just sort of interesting to think about. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because it reminds me of one of my biggest follies uh, of recently. It was when the, um, the end, I think it was the end of 304, 305, when the, right before the tree first appeared. I mean, yeah. I think Azil's very familiar with this, but I was racking my brain about what that could be <laughs> before the tree actually took took form. Yeah, and after I had said it would be a tree, of course. Yeah, <laughs> I was I was I was looking through like uh, medical documents and, and journals for <laughs> what I, I swear I I pinned it down. It was a goddamn brainstem. It was like a, <laughs> it was a central nervous system of some giant. Being- <laughs> Is what was appearing because it looked branch-like. Of course, boy, it was going to appear as a giant, you know. Right, in the world. That's right. A giant brain would appear. So uh, I mean, I just think a well, lot- a giant brain did appear. So that <laughs> true. That's true. See, that's the thing. It actually, transitions from the giant brain two-page thing. Yeah, to- yeah, the- and that's so, so that's what uh, in this junior. I remember you were saying, yeah, there's a brain, and then there's you know that picture. So it it might be related. My the the learning point from all this is. 
there's a lot of branch like things in nature and we <laughs> yeah. don't necessarily always have to connect those two. But yeah, I mean, I, I, I think for sure this is the tree that we saw at the end of those episodes. It, it yeah. makes sense that it would be connecting, connected to the astral world and connected this far out. It all kind of makes sense to me. Of course, it's the first thing, it's the first development we see from that tree. So we're always kind of on untested waters for that subject. But yeah, I think yeah, it all is. It's a pretty sure thing, I think, even by now. I guess if there were, I'll just play devil's advocate. Like, if there were to be an alternative, it's interesting to think of that, you know, the tree is also being like the wings of the King of the Flower Storm if it's not the Ganeshka tree. Sure. Yeah. Like, if there was an alternative, that would that would probably be it. Like, again, like, I think there's sort of a deliberate mystery here where it's like, you know, you've got Shirke saying like, oh, well, this could all be related to the King of the Flower yeah. Storm. We already have in our head that it's related to Griffith, and she obviously doesn't know as much about uh, about that anyway. So, yeah, so it's interesting for us to, you know, sort of be like, where is he going to go with this? Like, we've already got sort of our idea, but he's, like, throwing doubt. It, yeah, exactly. That, I did want to talk about that, was Miura's intentional misdirection here. I, I mean, if that is what it is, if it is what it turns out to be, well, we think is correct. Go ahead, Azil. You know, it's not the first time uh, some character is, you know, you know misled uh, in the manga. I mean, it brings to mind when the Hicks uh, thought Gus was being the Falcon of Darkness, you know, and, and they were hunting him down, you know, following the prophecy. And it turned out, uh, of course, it, it's, it's not like that. It was, you know, and, you know, actually many readers were induced uh, in error by this. I mean, it's probably still are, uh, you know, some, somewhere on the internet. So I think, you know, from our, our point of view, because we pay really, you know, you know, good attention to what's going on in the manga and we really analyze things well. Yeah, it's a given uh, the kid is related to, to Griffith and the Demon Child. But I think actually among casual readers, you know, uh, quite a few of them will just take it, you know, like, oh, well, yeah, it must be the king. And actually... I'm pretty sure some people thought before that the kid, you know, would be the king. I mean, if you, if you don't pay attention or if you don't think about it too much or even just if you have got it in your mind that it's got to be the king, then, yeah, it, it could, it's a possibility. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I think it's just, you know, because we are, you know, as deep into the series as we are, yeah, it's a, it's a given to us, but it's not that obvious. It's, I mean, it's not necessarily that obvious to others, I think. Sure. The, um, there was a really interesting heated moment right when the episode preview landed, though, when I think we had, we, all we had was the preview text and a couple of images. And, and there was a moment where it's like, wow, crap, is the kid the Elf King <laughs> or some kind of uh, subordinate of the Elf King? Like that totally topsy-turvy for about maybe th- five seconds. And I was like, no, probably not. But, you know, there, there was a little moment there where I was doubting the whole, the whole process, but it didn't last very long. Hmm. Goes well, to show. I don't know. It's uh, like I mean, I do see it as like it has to be like this sort of uh, the secondary interpretation at this point, mm-hmm. just because like he doesn't, Mira doesn't usually like when he does, you know, like mystery or anything like that or misdirection. He's usually actually pretty deliberate when he tells you something. Yeah, that's, that's, that's what true. I mean. Yeah. That's what that's what makes it confusing. So it's like I want like it makes me wonder if it. I'll I'll be disappointed if this is the case actually, but if it actually turns out like oh you know Shirke was right it is the king of the flowery storm it's like hmm <laughs> you know that would that's sort of would be my my reaction <laughs> like really all right 
maybe maybe there's a maybe there's a chance for both of these things to be true. Maybe there's a chance for the elf king yeah, to be playing playing a role here and in, in guiding the kid to the parents, maybe or something like that, opening the door for that to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I guess it's true. Actually, it could be possible. I mean, the, the kid and the elf king could be, you know, uh, walking together. But uh, right. that seems a bit far fetched to me. Like it yeah. is a little, con- a little convoluted of an explanation. I agree. Yeah, it's just, I mean, something that occurred to me. Just some now. behind the scenes, like this sounds like a joke, but <laughs> there could be like, you know, basically forces that are, you know, some behind the scenes like astral turf war between yeah. you know, the forces of Griffith and the forces of uh, the king of the flower storm. Where you know areas that the you know the king of the flower storm once had total control over and dominion, maybe now Gris- Griffith through the tree and through whatever else. You know we don't know the full intentions of why you know Griffith set things up the way he has, and part of it might be to you know gain more power mm-hmm. in these worlds, you know between worlds and behind the scenes, you know that we don't even know about. So there could be something going on there. Go ahead, Zil. I was going to say, that being said, I don't see, I, I've never seen, you know, it like that. And I still don't think the elves are going to be like, you know, at war with uh, Griffiths and the Good Hand. I mean, they just don't seem to be, even if the, the elf king is like extremely powerful and such. I mean, he's still an elf, you know, and I don't think elves are, <laughs> they, they're not built for war. You know what I mean? So yeah. I don't think... I don't know. I might be wrong, and I'm sure maybe you know, like the dwarves or some faction is more you know war based or geared toward combat. But I don't think they are going to be you know really at war with uh, with the God Hand and apostles and such. And even if they oppose them, I don't think it will be in a in a fighting you know fashion or anything like that. I, well, yeah. I mean, I didn't I didn't think like a fighting fashion either. What I was just talking about was like sort of like, and maybe you know you're right in the same sense that the elves, you know, and the king of the flower storm doesn't even have this kind of power in the world anyway. They might just be part of you know they're just part of something bigger and on their little island. But uh, I just meant that yeah, it would be sort of a flow of power in the world that they've like they haven't right. been challenged on, and maybe Griffith is moving in on now. So, yeah with the way he's merged the world. That could just be one way where rather than working together, there's just sort of, that could be a way there's overlap between these forces. Before the worlds merged and such, I, I would say that a conflict like that would be kind of above the Elf King because he would consider that kind of a human conflict. You know, he's not going to get involved with Griffith or the affairs of the God Hand because he probably considers that to be a human problem. But now, now that it's involved the entire astral world, I wonder if the stakes have changed to a certain extent for him. But well, you know, who knows? Yeah, you know, I think it's uh, a bit more complicated than that because the God Hand has have always been. I mean, even though they before they were somewhat confined to their you know little place and such, they've always been you know out there in the astral world. So I think, I think it's not just like purely a human you know conflict. But yeah. I mean, I could see it, you know, being, you know, you know, following that angle. Like they'll say, "Oh well, it doesn't really concern us. It's not our business." Right. And we just, you know, even if it concerns them, they don't want to be implicated in it for right. various reasons. I mean, it it goes, you know, with the whole, uh, you know, isolated island thing. Like, you know, what Puck has been saying for quite a while before there were Earths all over the place, but, you know, they progressively just, you know, retired from the world and, you know, disappeared, you know, slowly and slowly until there just, well, there was no Elves left. And uh, so, yeah, 
And also, uh, witches and, and wizards, presumably, as well. Uh, we saw what happened with Flora. She's one of, the, one of the few that kind of was out in the world, but due to the expansion of the Holy See, she even pulled back. So we can presume that there are uh, all the forces of that kind of thing have pulled well, back. Yeah, but although for magic users, I think uh, it's a bit different, as I also think the practice itself disappeared. Like, I'm sure there's still a few, uh, you know, or maybe many alive in Elfen, but I think generally they just stopped, you know, people stopped mm. learning magic, and so when the former users died, nobody was there to take their place. Yeah, that that could make sense. I mean, it, it further cements a separation between humans and the natural world, the astral world. It makes sense for them to be fewer of them. Yeah, and, and since, yeah, and it might actually come back now. I mean, maybe, maybe yeah. more people will learn magic, you know, and just by themselves, by experimenting or things like that. Who knows? Right, right. Yeah, Farnes could be kind of a hint of that as well, with her learning from scratch, basically, and seeing how far she's progressed in so short a time. Well, she, she did have uh, Shiruke as a teacher, so... Of course, an 11-year-old girl. She's a great yeah. teacher, though. I don't mean to demean Shirk. She's awesome. Uh, well, we'll transition away from 331. Uh, it's set on track for another episode in two weeks, so it, by the end of the month we'll have another one. And I think by then we might have some exciting stuff uh, moving forward, maybe even seeing Elfhelm. Yeah. Yeah, you know what? That actually, that's funny. Before we transition away, that was like my only disappointment is everyone was reacting so strongly in the uh, episode thread. I was like, oh my god, is Elfham actually at the end of the episode or something? And <laughs> I, checked, I checked that first. It's like, oh, it's not. Okay, it must be other yeah. great stuff. <laughs> yeah, that's why I spoiler tagged what I initially said. Was because, I mean, I don't like to spoil things like that. Right, right when people first get the episode, I don't want to be the one to say, holy crap, the kid turns into a falling star, you know, like in the first yeah. month, so. What? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I didn't even, cl- yeah. It's like... Yeah. Great episode. We never used to have uh, spoiler tags in the episode threads, though, I don't think. It's been so, they're, they're so spaced out now, though, that, like, regular decorum is, like. Yeah, I mean, think about it this way, though. It, once we get further enough in the series that we're talking about, like, the the God Hand's background and the story behind A Thousand Years Ago, when that, when that episode comes out, people better not fucking spoil that for me, you know? I want to read that as pure as I possibly can. I don't want to have a summation of that before I see it on the page, you know? I'm going to have to be very careful once we get closer to that point in the series because I, I want to experience that in a, a much more careful way, I guess. Surprise, 332. <laughs> <laughs> <Boy> history. <laughs> yeah. Well, hey, Mier, I did hint at that, or something like that. Uh, was returned to the God Hand and all that stuff. Whatever that really meant. Well, I guess we'll see soon enough. Yep. Anyway, moving on. We're back to talk about Griffith. Um, as anyone may know, we when we talked about the Skull Knight, we divided that into like three different parts. Uh, each of them had a little section of volumes. And but anybody who listened to that may realize that you can't really relegate the discussion of such a big character to a certain number of volumes. Conversation is going to spill over into the future. We're just going to deal with that. But the guide, the, the volume serve as kind of a guideline for the areas of the series that we discuss. So what I what I'd hope to do today was go from three to like seven or eight, but that might be too ambitious. I'm not sure. I'm not even sure how much, how long we can spitball this character. Probably 
way longer than I've anticipated. But I mean, we'll we'll see. This is a character that's been really interesting to, to see how people react to him. A lot of people who watch the anime seem to hate Griffith because of how things end with the anime. I, I've never really felt any real f- hate for the character. I've never really understood that kind of reaction other than people that, like, I guess had a, like, a really big crush on judo, basically. I, I, that's all I can really make of that. Like, people that really don't like Griffith because he's, he's a bad guy because he killed all my favorite people. I mean... But it's a childish reaction in the first place. I mean, it's a, you know, manga character. It's a fictional character. Right. Yeah. Hating a, I hate a fictional character has always been kind of weird to me. But Griffith in particular, seems it seems to be people that really love and hate him. He used to actually be my favorite character for a really long time. Uh, I think it probably until like 2002 or 2003. I think I've said it on the show before. Yeah. But uh, it was a slow slide into guts for me. But for the longest time, Griffith was extremely uh, very fascinating character. But slowly that kind of that love affair kind of died. Probably because he sacrifices humanity. <laughs> <laughs> slowly, he's slowly become less fascinating. Over yeah. <laughs> And uh, but what did you, what did you guys where do you guys stand Griffith? You named yourself after him back in the day, but do you still feel that same? Uh... Yeah, I mean, he's obviously he was you know a very charismatic character as a both as a person and then like as sort of like a symbol of you know whatever it takes. Even like in this even the sacrifice. Yeah. You know, is that's where that's where a lot of people draw the line. Right. And I don't know. I'm I'm getting like I you know this is a anachronistic you know in a sense but it's like i'm i think of it as sort of like rooting for walter white on breaking bad people have their breaking point mm-hmm. you know with the character yeah. at different times and for for griffith it's very obvious where your breaking point is going to be it's going to be at the sacrifice if you're gonna you know decide you're on the outs with that character or you can't stand them or oh i just want to see guts split him in half oh. <laughs> <laughs> whatever whatever your dream is yeah for the end of the series so yeah, I don't know. It's I've always found him yeah fascinating, like you said. It's always been interesting. It's interesting to see, you know, his dream is interesting. His ambition, you know, it's I've always questioned, at least you know how he's going to reach that goal from where he is, or if he even cares anymore. He's not even the same, not even the same yeah. creature <laughs> that he yeah. used to be. So yeah, that's certainly something we're going to tackle. Is basically where does the where does the man that we know end and the person that's in front of us now begin? Like, what's the middle and, ground there? You know, and the and the, yeah, to me the question is, you know, like, you know, clearly he's changed physically, mentally, spiritually. You know, he's a different he's a different being now. But is he the same character? Yeah, it's a good you know, question. What's interesting to me, like, is there is there still like is that linear? Can I still you know do I have to just sort of say, well, that Griff is dead. This is a different guy wearing his face. Yeah. You know, this is some evil part of him, you know, or is it like, can I, is there still that line, you know, a direct line from the very beginning to now? That's mm. yeah, the question with a big answer. <laughs> we don't know yet. <clears throat> um, Azil, do you have thoughts on Griffith, your perspective on him? Yeah, well, you know. Actually, I'm not fascinated by Griffiths. I, I never was. And uh, I know, I mean, <laughs> I'm probably in the minority here, but I actually find Femto more interesting than Griffiths. And um, I mean, just, you know, in general, because uh, as a part of the good hand, of course, you know, now that uh, he's incarnated, things are a bit different. But yeah, obviously, Griffiths is a very interesting character as a villain. And uh, I actually like, I almost feel bad for him because, you know, of the way his life was set up. He's, he was always meant to sacrifice in the end. So, yeah, 
I actually feel bad for him in, in a lot of ways, but at the same time, you know, when, when he's put uh, opposite guts, you can't help but feel that, yeah, even if guts had been in that situation, he wouldn't have sacrificed, you know, because he's guts. So right. he would have told them to go fuck themselves. And, uh, but yeah, Griffiths had this breaking point and he reached it, they found it. And, uh, and yeah, he sacrificed. And I actually find it, uh, yeah, that question very interesting whether or not he's the same character anymore. And I think, uh, even though he's been shown to, you know, say the same things or similar things and act the same ways, look the same ways, I think he's fundamentally different. I mean, he's Femto, you know, Femto wearing a Griffiths costume. And even though Femto is Griffiths reborn, you know, he's different. And uh, I, I think in the future, maybe even the, you know, not so far future, we'll see how different he is. Like, you know, what this entails and uh, as far as being, you know, evil and such. And uh, yeah, I think it's going to be very interesting. You know, a lot of people, I think, you know, don't really realize how this thing works. Like, they're like, oh, it's Griffiths, who's back? Oh, yeah, Femto, oh, yeah, you know. But no, it's not like that. So I, I think, uh, of course, episode three or four showed it. But yeah, I think, you know, we're going to see it, you know, much more clearly in the future. You mean, they're, they're, the, they're two different characters, though, right? Griffith and Femto. Two different uh, uh, <laughs> We've been battling that since the site started, since the very beginning. Yeah. One, of the first, one of the first answers in the, in the frequently asked questions was, are they the same person? Like, yeah, they're, they're the same person, dude. I'm and so he's got uh, Wait, it wasn't Griffith that came back? <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying, As? <laughs> What's interesting to me is, like, you say you sort of feel sorry for him, and you're, you're more fascinated by Femto. Yeah. Do you find, like... Do you find Griffith's dreams and things like that, like petty, like his, you know, sort of like his human, you know, things compared to where he's at now? Yeah, I, I actually find it, yeah, I find it pretty petty. I mean, yeah, and that you know, he might, even Femto might feel the same way. And and even, you know, even his, uh, his goals and when he was human, you know, saying like his dream was everything to him and his friends were, I mean, his comrades or his subordinates were just tools and such, uh, you know, a means to an end. I, I think I think it's pretty petty. And while I admire his, uh, you know, will and such, I always found it interesting. You know, people uh, love to hate Julius Foss, you know, all these nobles. They love to hate them because they're portrayed as being, you know, morons and also very petty themselves. But, you know, I like to look at things from their point of view. Griffiths was a threat to the kingdom and he, he meant, you know, bad things. Like he was really trying to, you know, to get the really kingdom. The... He really was a subversive like element. Actually. Yeah. I mean, yeah. He, he, yeah. Was, he was, he was trying to fuck the princess and, you know, get the crown and, you know, like kill all of them. And he did actually. So, I mean, they, they tried to kill him for good reason. And it always makes me, you know, smile just thinking about how people hate them blindly because they are meant to be, you know, despised. But Griffiths himself, he, he was never a good guy. I mean, he, he always had that, you know, vicious side to him. So, mm -hmm. yeah, he's actually a very complex character. I mean, that's another thing, you know, that ought to be said. Like, like I said, I'm not fascinated by him, but it doesn't mean I, I don't, you know, find this character very well built. He, he's very, you know, very complex mm -hmm. for, uh, you know, a comic book, graphic novel character, whatever you call it, even uh, for... You know, when you take you no know, characters in novels, in movies, any kind of fiction, you know, you rarely find characters that are so complex and subtle in the way they are portrayed. And I think Griffiths is a, uh, even though he doesn't actually get that much, you know, on screen time, you know, when you take the entirety of the series, he's, you know, shown just within the Golden Age 
to be a very deep character. And yeah. Uh, yeah, that's something that I find very interesting. But of course, the same is true for all the characters in Berserk. It's just, you know, Mira's, you know, storytelling uh, and uh, characterization at work. Yeah. <clears throat> well, we uh, Guts is the hero of the series as far as the reader's concerned, but yeah. Griffith's kind of the hero of the world. He, he's kind of the the, the, the the main character for the Berserk universe as, as the way things have unfolded. Everything's yeah. sort of in line with his path. Yeah. Well, that's what I think is interesting to look at the series in that, in that direction is Guts is our perspective, uh, our focus, but you know, Griffith's the one kind of leading the pack of the, of the, of the whole way this, the whole story has flowed so far. Yeah. He's, he's a... Uh, oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say it reminds me of uh, you know what the Skull Knight said and, and various you know characters have commented on you know the fact uh, it's like a story being told and you know well yeah, right. yeah it's a story Griffiths would have to be yeah some kind of you know main character or main attraction at least absolutely the uh, interesting is how it like uh, how the story does cut back to him like and that we follow him it doesn't cut to him like cutting you know cutting to the villain he's sort of like takes on the role of this second main character and we're just watching his journey you know as you know as he is this like traditional storybook hero taking yeah. everything back well and it's least- interesting what you said about you know down the line we're gonna fi- we're gonna find out just what he's really like you know i guess they'll like you know because he's been very benign so far yeah you know even as he's got you know the demons were you know it's like oh you know the apostles that work for him so far have almost been like you, know, you have to be good <laughs> you know you right. have to be yeah. good for now. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, you know, what you were saying is sort of hinting at you think that eventually he's going to maybe they'll take that mask off. Like I'm, I was imagining like that boyish face, like with some, you know, different lighting. Is they're lighting the pit or whatever? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Bringing in yeah. the sacrifices. Well, I, I, actually, yeah, I, I think so. Yeah. Like like you said, you know, so far until now and there I say, you know, during the Millennium Falcon arc. Which you know, you know, has its name for a reason. Uh, we have followed him like, yeah, like a fairy tale character, like the, the you know, king, the knight, you know, taking back, you know, his country from the evil guys, the evil foreigner invaders, and just you know, like he just wins because he's meant to win, you know, through some kind of divine divine action, you know. Even though when the Kershans, you know, attack Ritanis, he just arrives and saves the day, and everything is perfect. And I think you know. Uh, it's going to end at at some point, and I think that point is going to be reached, you know, relatively soon. I mean, now the wars are merged, which was actually the, I mean, the real goal. Even though I'm sure Griffiths is very happy with his uh, kingdom and such, uh, yeah, the wars are merged. The good hand, uh, you know, are in the world. So I think now it's time, you know, for serious business to start. And uh, yeah, actually, I'm really curious to see who it's going to take place. If Griffiths will remain. You know, some kind of uh, idyllic uh, leader to some people, or whether you know it will be shown for what it is. Because it could be devious until the end. You know, it could be like, oh yeah, yeah we are we're still the good guys. You know, uh, even though you know in in some way, in some twisted way, it's not the case. But it, it, the appearances could be kept. You know, until the end. I don't know. It would. I feel like it would be disappointing if Griffith's evil was just some form of malaise. <laughs> you know, that everyone feels rather than you know like direct like. Right, you know, monsters through the streets, kind of stuff. While he sits on his throne and, and shrugs, you know, uh, you know, boys will be boys. <laughs> <clears throat> the um, we talk about his appearance, but that's one of the things I wanted to start out with. Uh, we've kind of 
run amok with the topic, but that's totally cool. It's a broad topic. Um, he had, he's got a unique look, uh, and I don't just mean you can tell who he is on the page. For a leader, for a, a warlord, so to speak, he has he's very beautiful. Has long flowing white hair, boyish, it's almost girlish looks. Why do you think Mira chose that particular look to this character, uh, well, who ultimately is kind of you know evil? Actually, uh, you know, I remember something Mira said in, a, in an interview or something like that. He said he meant Griffiths to look like he was you know flying the sky and you know to be pure and unattainable while Gus was crawling in the mud and. Uh, I think their looks, uh, in both cases, uh, you know, are meant to exemplify that. Mm. is angelic, you know, not just not just you know, yeah, pure and girlish and such. I think he looks angelic, like too too pretty to be true, you know. <clears throat> Casca actually says something somewhat. She kind of kind of lays it out for us. She kind of, I think she says something like, uh, "This is the way Griffin looked to her when he first threw her the sword when the nobles attacking her." She says something like, he looks like a saint that had come to life, uh, some otherworldly image that had just appeared. And I think that kind of nails the way Mir probably thought of him as well, or drew him, was to be this kind of outside, otherworldly man, you know, that, that seemed like he wasn't from this world. It was, yeah. It was kind of above it all, and somehow yeah, yeah. it was placed on this earth somehow. But um, well, And I think... I think most recently it was sort of voiced by Mule when he, you know, swore his allegiance to him. And obviously this is after he had, you know, at least, you know, much multiple times more of the supernatural charismatic mojo going for him was, you know, just this, his look and his voice, you know, how he didn't look like you would imagine, you know, like a warrior leader mm-hmm. would look like, yeah. you know, he looks like this beautiful person and his, you know, what was stuck out to me about that part was they actually describe his voice as, you know, just this very soothing, calming, you know, sort of voice, you know, that makes you feel, you know, comfortable. Right. You know, he's not a very gruff or harsh guy. And, you know, before he knows that he's, you know, swearing his allegiance to him, you know, well, what's interesting, he's also questioning himself while he's mm-hmm. doing it. You know, he's like, what the heck, what am I doing? Right. You know, but he can't help himself. He's compelled. But even his, and, even, even his voice and his looks, they're all, they're all part of an orchestration, essentially. To, to yeah. evoke that kind of reaction from people that you want to follow him, you want to believe in his dream, you want to swear yourself to him. And I think, I think it all kind of goes hand in hand with just the way he looks very, very like you don't want to be, you, you want to be on this guy's side, you know, yeah. is the of way he it's, looks. It's a, it's, a, it's a package, you know, of, of course. course. It's, a, it's, it's a Trojan horse, so to speak. Uh, the way the way guts first uh first sees him as well um it's actually really interesting <clears throat> i didn't catch this until his most recent reread we see femto in volume 3 you know no hint that he is, is of course the man that we knew him to be uh no hint that he was even someone uh a- angelic or beautiful and, and so we see this little flashback built into volume 3 and then, you, then you, the reader already knows. Mira makes no secrets of the of what he becomes. You know that that's not that's kind of as given as a, as a given. You already know where this is going, but you don't know yeah. how he, you don't know how he gets there from there. And that's yeah. what makes the Golden Age really interesting to me uh, is watching the pieces fall into place for what makes Griffith uh, the man that become becomes becomes Femto. Part it's part of what makes the adaptation recently so broken fundamentally is that. You know, you don't you don't get to see that progression because that progression doesn't exist to that viewer. But anyway, um, we start out seeing this femto, and the reason I mention that is because when you first see Griffith on the page chronologically, 
in, in, in volume four, he's shown as being as kind of towering above that battle with Bazuzo. Yeah. You just see him with his mask on. You don't even see his face until much later. You see you see the helmet. It's of course associated with Femto, which again is kind of a given. Obviously, this is a guy that became Femto. But you don't see his face as a human until much later. You see a profile shot when he's laying in the grass. But after his fight with Guts, he takes his helmet off. And it's then that you get that angelic image like, wow, who the hell is this guy? And also, yeah. that was fascinating that Mira really holds that out for a while, saying, this is the guy that comes Femto, but look, this is well, well before he became that as a dramatically different person than what you thought you knew of this character. You know, there's one thing I like about the first shot of Griffiths we get, which is okay. uh, in, in Volume Three. Right. He's a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, it looks like it's some kind of, you know, dusk on the battlefield or something like that. And Griffiths is, you know, stricken by the light, you know, as he extends his hand to guts. And uh, I, I think already at the, at that point in the series, you know, Mira emphasized, you know, light and, and darkness. And you know the fact you know Griffiths was struck by like like this. It makes him very interesting to me. And also, I also like that shot because you know Griffiths is at the time towering over guts, helping him, and uh, he looks older and you know more in control. More, he, he looks like his leader at the, at the time. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think uh, I really like that shot actually that introduction, and I really like you know whole Femto and, and you know Griffiths uh, whatever is portrayed in Volume Three in general. Well, that's like one of my favorite scenes, and another, yeah, another bad cut from the, yeah, the new adaptation is uh, Walter alluded to, and yeah, I mean that scene sort of lays out the whole like sort of his his charm, right. really his charisma that he's like taking on, uh, you know, the world essentially and trying to change it, you know, bend it to his will, just you know with an idea, you know, as an individual. And it's interesting, like, I, this is going to be a digression, but what you said earlier about sort of, you know, how that's sort of petty, you know, sort of that was his petty human dream compared to, like, where he's at now. Yeah. I've always sort of, like, seen it, like, the opposite way, where I always thought that was a lot more noble and, like, and, you know, a more pure test, whereas now it's, like, you find out, like, well, he was just meant to do that anyway, and now he's been, you know, given all, more than that power. And yeah, it's, of like, course. It really... And it's like, really, he was, you know, he was already one of the nobility. And maybe he meant that because he does say that there's, you know, certain special people chosen by fate, you know, to be the, the movers of the world and everything and to get things going. So it's interesting to me where, you know, that sort of where that lies in his philosophy. If, you know, if it feels like if this feels like a cheat to him or and I don't think he does feel that way. I think he doesn't care. And he's he's perfectly yeah. happy with the way things see- are now. <laughs> I don't think but, he really uh, cares anymore. Yeah, I don't think he's gonna have some point where it's like this is all wrong. <laughs> but uh, I don't know. I I think there's a. I think that you're talking. You started talking about the golden rule scene. I'm assuming is what you mean. Yeah. Stalk with first talk with guts as a human, as it's shown in the series. But I mean, I've always I've always kind of pulled from this scene. Talking about Griffith's motivations and Griffith's ultimate dream, you know, everyone says, oh, he wants his kingdom. I mean, of course, he reiterates that throughout the series. But in this scene, he's talking about learning what he's destined for and wanting to become one of the one of the ruling forces that kind of govern the world. He wants to know 
what the the world's story for him is. He wants yeah. to know his place in the world. And I think I think that's far more uh, appropriate for you know, his motivation and his dream than simply a kingdom. Which a kingdom to me was always just a, another means to an end. You know, well, no, yeah, but to me it was about like it was about you know sort of how guts you know put it into words like winning something for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Whereas yeah. I guess you could look at it from Griffith's perspective. Like if he really was just like I want to know who I am. I want to know like. Really, he just thought, you know, rather than I want to see what I can achieve, it's more like I know that I'm better than everybody and I'm going to prove it. And then, you know, he found out anyway, like, oh, well, you are, you know, more you are a superior being. And it's like, oh, you know, that's why. (laughs) So this is all right. I've been waiting for this. Right. (laughs) Like I knew I was supposed to. I knew I was destined for this. So that's that's probably the most accurate way, like more Uh, than I I used. I used to look at it the other way. I guess, in a way, uh, a kingdom at the time was the highest thing you could think of, but uh, turns yeah. out it was higher than that. Right. Yeah. You know. Yeah, uh, but because he was meant for that higher thing, that's I guess why he had that drive. Yeah. That was sort of just yeah, that was, was the best way he could, you know, he could express it. Yeah. He he was always very ambitious. I I think that's really what defines him. I mean, one of the main things that define him uh, is ambition. He was always extremely ambitious. You know, probably the, the most ambitious character in the series. Oh, he's still, of course, he's still getting a kingdom. Of course, it's a dramatically different oh. type of world and kingdom than we and it anticipated. Yeah. Not simply he has a nice castle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, the, the, they got could, all these famous, you know, places in history located within its. <laughs> Right. <laughs> its walls. But he didn't just like you know name a town after himself. He basically changed the whole world to yeah, to, to well, get to that place. You know, I guess for so, someone so ambitious, uh, I don't know how he can be content with uh, a second hand, you know, capital city, since he just took you know geysers. <laughs> yeah, he's the property manager. He probably had to go through him and pay him, you know, a rent a rental deposit <laughs> whenever, whenever he first sat down, settled the down. The thing about it that's always yeah struck me as like unsatisfying is it's like it's literally like you know he's doing it in god mode where mm. it's like you know you know you know put it in gamer terms to shows the limits of my ambition uh you know like well that you're not really doing it you, you know it's just it's it's easy it's a given you know yeah it's so doing itself I, yeah yeah I don't know. I think I think Griffith would simply say like you know that was that, that's a power that I had access to you know that's yeah this is what I was meant for right yeah well yeah but going chronologically through the series which <laughs> I know is broken at this point but um it, it is interesting in volume in volume five uh, well, the way I was approaching my reread first of all was not someone not not as knowing everything we know but trying to think of it as readers who may have first been reading the series chronologically from one through, you know, X trying not to think about what would come, but what would, what, what we readers may be thinking about the character as the little bits and pieces are revealed. And what was really interesting to me was watching those tiny steps toward what made Griffith into the guy that becomes Femto. And it, of course it doesn't happen all at once. And you wonder what kind of character he really is. Cause I think he's still, his motivations and his personality are still somewhat of a mystery. Uh, to, to me, anyway, uh, they are even to the people that were closest to him. Judo and Guts both say that there's like this duality between him when he has you know a super serious face or an evil face, and also boyish qualities. Yeah, and I think it's example. It's it's an exa- example of a character who he doesn't let anybody in. He doesn't let anybody close to him really know himself. And I wonder what you guys thought about 
why that's the case. Why why he developed into that kind of personality, like super well, closely guarded. Because uh, I think to me it's pretty obvious. He knew that to reach his goal, he couldn't afford to feel bad for people or to just you know stop by. You know, it reminds me of what Godot says about guts. You know, when you're driven towards your goal, you can't you know stop by and pay attention to the ants you know beyond, you know under your feet. So, yeah, I mean Griffiths, he had big dreams, a big goal, you know, and to reach that, he couldn't afford to feel bad. I, I think it's exemplified well by you know the boy that died on the battlefield. Who liked Griffith so much and wanted to be a knight and such? Griffith feels he feels terrible about it, and he just you know, I mean, when he sells himself to Ganon, it's I think it's as much a way to you know, would say, chastise himself as it is a, a a way to actually get money and become more effective and such. But yeah, I, I think he closed himself uh, for that reason, you know, mainly because you know. Otherwise, you get hurt and you, you can't, you know, reach your goals when you have really big goals like that, that you know will make it necessary to make big sacrifices. Yeah, I mean, he knows he can't have that weakness. This is sort of, you know, what Casca was telling Guts, because Guts was always wondering these things. about you know, this is obviously sort of the question about Griffith and the early going yeah. for him. You know, what's just what's the deal with this guy exactly? And, yeah, she's the one who, yeah, put that first, you know, explained that, like, you know, you, you know, precisely that guts is that person that he does feel something for you know and it doesn't matter what it is it's anything and it makes him weak and he's you know he's already put his life on the line a couple of times to save guts and made you know some strategically you know unwise decisions you know for himself and his ultimate goals because of this because he you know basically because he has a friend right which he didn't let himself you know have before yeah one one hour into the podcast and we have touched on the heart of the matter in my opinion (laughs) <laughs> Guts and Griffith. Uh, they're friends. <laughs> they're friends. <laughs> the <end. laughs> yeah. Um, well, actually, it's interesting. Uh, we jump. We jump to the bath scene real quick. Or sorry, the the kid uh, that affected Griffith, which leads to his little breakdown after his night with Ginnon. But uh, what I think is interesting is Casca's the one who knows Griffith the most personally because of this scene she has with him in the bath. But um. She's also the first one that notices Griffith starting to change. Griffith starting to become more open to guts, acting out for guts, uh, protecting guts when he probably is not in the best interest of the group to do that. Well, that's, that's because at the time she was in love with Griffith, so I think you know she obviously paid the most attention to him. Sure, I'm just saying she gives us a unique eye into Griffith's development that probably yeah. wouldn't otherwise have because he's he actually does open up to her to a certain extent. There's this scene in the bath that I I. Uh, want to talk about you you see you kind of you kind of finally opens up for the first time you kind of see his real face for um just like one scene one little scene which you don't see is you know his real personality in my opinion until much much further along in the series is maybe yeah. volume nine or so but uh what do you think um about the scene what do you do you think he's i think griffith i see you probably have already addressed it uh was He's the kind of guy who can't care about people, and this is this is a moment where he was that that aspect was sort of pulled out of him. He well, was forced. Yeah, to. it's it's not that he can't. Yeah, he can't afford to you know let himself care about people. Otherwise, he's going to cost him what he wants. So the thing is, he has to try to be as emotionless and calculative as possible. And and I guess he did a good job at that for the most part, you know. And uh, even though in the end, it, you know, I mean, he couldn't like when guts left. And he couldn't let it happen, and he lost, and that really—I mean—he couldn't endure it. But 
Other than that, yeah, that kind of mentality is actually directly what leads him to make the sacrifice, you know, during the occultation ceremony. In the end, for his goal, yeah, he decided to, you know, sacrifice them and to reach his goal. And that's the kind of mentality he had been trying to build for his whole entire life. Like, that's that's exactly what he tried to, to do. He always wanted to, you know, be cold and, you know, patientless and just, you know, do things and, you know, make it happen. And uh, in the end, he did. But yeah, other than that, even though he tried, you know, to be as emotionless as possible, he was still human. And so he still felt bad. And uh, about the kid, yeah, he felt really bad. Well, even his emotions, you know, like at the eclipse were were used, you know, to push him in yeah. that direction because yeah, he still course. had them, you know. Yeah, but yeah, that, of course. I think I'm, I'm sorry, Walter, because we're jumping way ahead again. <laughs> yeah, but before, yeah, if, if you're going to transition ahead, let me make one point before you do that. I, I just, I just want to say that's also why I said earlier that I felt bad for him because, especially that scene when Ubik and Conrad, you know, trick him. Mm-hmm. I, I always found it extremely dirty. I mean, the guy is in a state of extreme weakness and emotional distress. I mean, he, he's really fucked. He, he has been through really, you know, terrible things, a year of torture and such. And he doesn't even, I, I think he doesn't really even know what he thinks anymore or what he wants. But uh, yeah, he's being manipulated at the time. So yeah, I just wanted to say like that. I, I think there's more going on in this bad scene than simply him rejecting to care about people and then that being a weakness for him or his perceiving that as a weakness there's this there's this line where he says basically i mean i'm paraphrasing here but the deaths of his comrades it's not that he regrets them or he feels like he should you know it's a it's a dark path that he he leads he accepts that and he even says he doesn't regret that but he says essentially that their deaths raise the stakes for him like their deaths can't be in vain they have to be for something so he yeah, kind he of has to win, you know, right. Them. He's forced on yeah. this path. He feels compelled to finish this this fight essentially and to continue on his yeah. path because they died. And I yeah. think that's also very important for the eclipse. Yeah, of course, when you know the, the corpses and the piles of bodies all lead one direction, and he can't not take that path or that make that choice yeah. after all that has happened. You know, the actor even says so to him, like, if you don't want it to be in vain, you have to to finish it. You know, right. finish the job. So. Right, I don't. I've never thought of that eclipse thing. Or sorry, the, the discussion with Ubik and Conrad convincing him. This is Sarah. I mean, yeah, I guess it's it is it is certainly a form of manipulation. But I've never thought of it as cheap. I thought they just simply laid out his life in in that perspective for him and allowed him to make. You know, it's a twisted perspective. You know, they are showing him things in a certain way that you know clearly you know inside insists him to. Could say to sacrifice. So yeah, to to me, they're, they're pretty much yeah, yeah. Maybe tricking is a bit of a strong word, but you know, yeah, they're sort of tricking him, or at least they're well, showing him what they want him to to see. So, to me, the important, I guess, point about that is that he was like he was actually still resistant to the idea. Yeah, like, and he thought the whole thing was, you know, no, you know, he, you know, he didn't want to go along with it at first and everything, and they sort of had to bring him back around. And it's interesting because, like, as as said, you know, he would. He had been broken down for years at that point, you know, just physically and mentally. Mm-hmm. And so it was interesting that they like, because I don't know, when you give it into the whole, you know, idea created him, you know, through history, you know, his bloodline and, you know, sort of made this strong person. It's interesting that they, he made this strong character. He, well, it made this strong character. And then, you know, he had to be, you know, that, that much had to go into breaking him down to get mm-hmm. him to yeah. do what they needed him to do. 
And so it's it's interesting to me because, I mean, it was it's interesting to think that he had such a strong personality that like if he had been, you know, like just himself, if he mm-hmm. hadn't gone through what he'd gone through, he might have just rejected this whole thing yeah, mm-hmm. and not made the sacrifice. It's interesting to think about that because like we again, what we were saying about sort of where people stand on him and hating him is like he's sort of, you know, he's like, oh, he's a weasel and a backstabber, you know, and, you know, ultimately he did make the sacrifice. And, you know, that's what's, you know, sort of like that's his uh, that's his legacy as far as a lot of people are concerned. So it's interesting to look at it like, well, it's it's a lot more complicated than that. Yeah. You know, it's not just like he could. It's not just like at that point, he could have still gotten what he wanted just, you know, through hard work. He was broken beyond repair and he knew it. He had been shown it in front of everybody, humiliated by wild. So he has all of that to take into account. I mean. It was that or nothing for him. So that or, or life of torture, because to him, living, you know, being fed and you know, taken care of by Casca was, was torture to him. So yeah, um, I, I think some people. I don't know. I don't want to talk too much about misguided ideas, but the idea that he probably could have attained his, attained his kingdom without uh, without getting sidetracked by guts. Was, was he ever really on course to obtain the kingdom if he'd married Charlotte? But I mean, th- things. Things weren't geared that way. I mean, Zod says in Volume Five, you know, when this man's ambition crumbles, you, know, you will yeah. meet a, a death you can't escape. He was set up to fail from the beginning. He was set up of to course. be yeah. in that demented state when uh, the eclipse happened. So yeah, I mean, everything all... went that way. It's, it's the same thing that happened for Ganishka and such. Like you know, right. the battle at Ritanis, the fact Griffiths let him you know escape and you know go to Windham. Everything was you know made to end up with you know the wars being merged. And in the same way, Griffiths was meant to almost touch greatness, almost reach his goal, and then fall down. And that's what broke him. I mean, well, they needed they needed him to be exceptional, but they also needed him to be broken down in order for him to accept the sacrifice. So it's it's all a big play. Well, here's here's where things get fuzzy though. The breaking point for Griffith was Guts leaving or winning his own freedom, essentially. Uh, yeah, that, defeating well, him. Yeah, right. yeah. So Which, that's, I, think, I think that plays a part. It's not just like he left. He uh, left. No. He uh, defeated him in the process. So right. But um, but Guts' motivations for leaving were planted from the scene with Griffith. Uh, yeah. On, on the on the stairs. So it's all kind of interconnected. It's very, with- I- yeah, it's very ironic actually. The reason I bring it up is because then it then then we, it brings in the motivations of our of the main character playing a role in the downfall of this person, which ultimately leads to him becoming a god hand. And so that's where I think it starts to get fuzzy when people at, to ask about was causality did causality account for for everything? And I mean, I mean, they, I think the answer is yes. Even down guts own motivations for leaving, wanting to be uh, his own person. That that's where it starts to get really kind of kind of squeamish for the reader. I think often. Because the, the the character whose whose motivations we we agree with as well, or were were all kind of a ruse to a certain extent as well. Oh, of course, he was so close to Griffiths that uh, yeah, it's it's clear he played a role that was meant for him to play. Right. Yeah, I mean, he was. I mean, I think of him as like the catalyst, essentially. There, like, yeah, that's what yeah. that's what his whole purpose was, and it's like whether he. Yeah, and there's now we're gonna get into guts talk. Which no, we, that's fine. <laughs> like, I have a whole different thing for guts. I mean. Yeah, so it'll be it, it. It's just interesting that yeah, like that is you know because we like to think of guts as like it's you know it was used to be the thing like he's the one working outside, you know these forces you know he's the one fighting against them but it's like you know he is is he able to fight against it or is he still like a part of it as he always been 
I mean, he certainly used to be. Is he, you know, when did he, was he ever able to break free of that? I, I've always considered, going to the beginning of this discussion, Would I've always thought of Guts as a, kind of like a Griffiths battering ram to achieve what he needed to achieve for, to, for a while. And then ultimately he's the man that breaks him and, and leaves him open and susceptible to yeah. what the God Hand need. But for the for the longest time, he, he was essentially introduced as a as a powerful tool in Griffith's you know army essentially. But he's yeah. also someone who opened up Griffith to caring about or a, a friend, which is you know ultimately used against him for for other other reasons. Yeah, and there's also the fact I think that Griffith's in the end, maybe relied on guts a little too much. I mean, I think he saw the potential for greatness within him, but yeah. at the same time, he became dependent on him for you know for many things. I mean, if you take for example, you know, the battle in Doldre, without guts to take on Boscon, things could have gone very differently. So you yeah. know, in many ways, guts was really you know the, the most important element uh, you know among his army. Of course, even though you know characters like Aska and such played also important roles, but Guts was really. I mean, Griffiths saw in him things he didn't see in others for good reason because Guts was truly, as we know, exceptional. That yeah, that's I made some notes about that last night as well. Was was what did what did Griffith initially see in Guts that attracted it? What attracted him to him? And I, and I, I was wondering about that. I think it's he says something interesting, and it wasn't necessarily just like his feet. Against um, Boscone, that he was not Boscone. Sorry, Bazuzzo. Uh, Bazuzzo. Yeah. That he that a, a younger guy killed an older guy, or it was renowned. It wasn't just that; it was the way he fought. He put his life on yeah. the line to achieve that. Yeah. And I think that he, was in line with Griffith's own, you know, feelings about life and, and what you should be able to do with. Uh, go ahead, Azil. Yeah, no, I was just going to say uh, something uh, along those lines that he felt uh, Guts was ready to do anything to win. And that's, right. that's what he wanted. Yeah, which I thought that was interesting as well. Well, it's interesting what you said as about, uh, you know, he became too dependent on Guts, you know, like even within like his, you know, within the army, within, you know, the strategy and everything. Yeah. Is it you, you meant that, but also what really was his downfall is he also... He couldn't, you know, imagine doing it without him anymore. Just having yeah. him, you know, like by his side, you know. Yeah, of like, course. Yeah. Even if it's even if it's just politics, you know, he still needed him, you know, like standing next to him, you know. Yeah, some kind of reassurance. Yeah. Yeah, or it wouldn't be the same, and so that was, you know, the problem, you know. Yeah, not, and, not even using him as a tool, but it's like that he couldn't let go of that tool when he didn't, you know, he didn't need it anymore, and Guts knew yeah. that. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's like he needed just the reassuring presence. You know, outside, and actually, Casca says so. Uh, says some things uh, along those lines uh, at the waterfall. You know, she tells God that without him, Griffiths couldn't do it, and Gus doesn't understand, and for good reason because Griffiths didn't really need him anymore. Actually, he clearly didn't need him anymore at that point, but Gus didn't understand that Griffiths had come to rely on yeah. him because. I think I always saw it in, in the way that his task, the, the, the task he had set up for himself was so, you know, grand and hard that he was unsure. And yeah, he needed somebody who could just tell him, yeah, sure. Yeah, sure. I'll do it. Yeah, it's, it's doable. You can do it. You can, somebody like that, you know, who was just bold to, you know, let him know that he was on the right path and he could do anything he wanted. Well, and yeah, what was interesting is like even, and you know, Griffith cared about what he thought about him too, like which he didn't care yeah. about that with anyone when he told, and asked him, you know, do you think I'm evil, you know, right. for what yeah. I'm doing? And, he, yeah. and Guts was, you know, told him like, what are you talking about? This is what you need to do, you know, of course, you know, yeah. you're not, you know, there's nothing wrong. And, you know, the fact that he even asked him, you know, and, and what we were talking about earlier is that what set Guts, you know, going was obviously what he heard Griffith say. And the irony of that is that Griffith 
you know, what he said wasn't true. Guts believed yeah. it. Yeah. But even it wasn't even true to Griffith, you know, and Gr- maybe Griffith didn't even know that then. What do you but, mean yeah. it wasn't true? When because he said Guts that when he said Guts isn't his friend and that he doesn't need, you know, these are just his. Oh, right. uh, Sorry. Right. Yeah. That's the thing. Yeah. The irony is that that wasn't true about Guts is that yeah. Guts really, you know, he did feel, you know, that he needed Guts and he did care about him like a friend. Yeah. So that that's that's what makes it even more ironic. Yeah, that's, that's, that's that, exactly right. It, it's like it's a double, you know, double triple thing because yeah, that's exactly. Yeah. The, a Griffith lies to Charlotte without even knowing it. He says something, right. you know. Even if Guts had, you know, confronted about it, Griffith might have actually. Who knows? Griffith might have said, "Ah, oh, you know, actually, yeah, maybe I didn't mean what I said and such a thing." But you know, he didn't, and it went like that. But yeah, what you said is exactly right. That's you know, right yeah. on the money. These two really need to just sit down and talk. I mean, it's, seriously, <laughs> it was, it was, the whole thing could have been avoided. You know, the whole process, this lack of communication in general. Griffith- Griffith tried that, but he was a little smug. He was kind of a troll. Yeah. Do you think? Like, oh, I don't feel anything for you anymore. You know, ha. <laughs> All right. But, you right, know, right. actually, even at that point, it wasn't. You know, even then, really true because uh, I mean, even though he didn't feel anything, there was still a stir. You know, in his heart. You know, from you know the child's you know feeling. Yeah. So <laughs> even at that, even at that point, he's still you know saying something that isn't actually the case. Right. Yeah. When he spoke to Charlotte like that, uh, I was reading through it again. His motivation for being so open with her was always interesting to me. Uh, what, what do you think was with that? What, I mean, obviously he's trying to woo her. I mean, that's obviously the point of the scene from that perspective, from his, you know, his successes, his successive type role was trying to get in her pants essentially. But he really goes above and beyond in this little speech talking about what makes a friend. Do you think it was merely narrative purposes to get that across to guts or what? Chicks dig it when you say you don't care about anybody. They just, they, <laughs> they just, they get, that's what works. Yeah. And uh, no, I think uh, I think I, he was he was trying to let her in mm, to a degree. Yeah. I think I think he was saying what he thought would be impressive to her. I think there was you know there's a degree of calculation, but at the same time, I think he also wanted to sort of let her in the way he doesn't let anyone else in because yes, I agree. You know that would that would immediate that would make her you know feel special to him and that would make him special to her it would yeah it would, it would it would endear her to him but I, I think it might be a little more than that i don't know i think it's I one think, few times where griffith is genuinely flirting with someone you know and what that might be <laughs> someone uh again as someone who doesn't let anybody in i, I know, think he does feel comfortable around her to a certain extent I don't think he was necessarily flirting with her because I, I honestly, I, I don't think he really cared that much about her. But I think he was being candid, you know, like she asked him a question and he answered in earnest. And not necessarily because he wanted to flirt with her or anything, but yeah, maybe he felt comfortable and he felt uh, he could tell her, you know, without that being a problem. I don't so, know, but yeah. There's a lot of it's mannerisms also, in that scene that make it seem like flirting to me, like putting his jacket yeah, the, the, down, yeah, the way he like course, leans yeah. over his arm, you know, to talk to her. But also, it's just you know, there's it's romantic, you know, like he's discussing his, you know, their dreams together, basically. Yeah. So in that sense, it's a very intimate uh, conversation. Right. Yeah, but I, I don't think. I mean, I don't think he answered that way specifically to you know seducer. I mean, yeah, well, even you know, though he didn't. He didn't want. I mean, you know, you don't want to make it obvious, but <laughs> but I mean, he was laying the groundwork, but still within an acceptable, you know, social uh, way. Yeah. Like you know, he was talking with her. He was being candid and honest, and you know, they were just. I mean, they were getting to know each other. Right. 
Of course, the reason I ask all that is just to, to, to gauge how honest he was actually being, and, and did he say more than he meant to say? You know what I mean? Like, was he more open than he probably meant to be? To with, with well, her, but. I, I think I think he was just being perfectly honest, but uh, yeah, he did, he didn't calculate that. I mean, I think he did. Uh, what what I want? Yeah, what I want to say is just I, I don't think he calculated that. I think he was being just you know honest and candid with her, and just you know yeah. He certainly didn't want Guts to hear him at the bottom of the steps. Yeah, please. yeah. <laughs> and it, it, you know what? It feels even more honest and like too candid. Like he almost spilled over. Because right as he's at the end of his speech about how he'll do anything for his dreams, and it, well, he didn't actually tell her what his dream was though. And then, oh, of course, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. then you get the the word that like, oh my God, you know, Julius has been murdered, and so is you know Adonis, and it's just like, and then you know he has the look on his face. I mean, if he yeah. had told her, it would have almost been you know too much. For that yeah. moment, you know, like what his dream was, and then oh, oh yeah, they're dead. Well, yeah, she actually gets interrupted with from asking him that question. I think it is. And yeah, conveniently, like oh yeah, yeah, your your uh, uncle and your nephew are dead. It was for the audience. It was one of these. So what is your dream? And it's like oh, well, here it comes right now. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they're dead. I'll tell you one day. <laughs> yeah, I'm gonna tell you. You're gonna find out. <laughs> I'd imagine if Guts had asked him, you know, hey man, I was at the bottom of the steps. I saw that you were flirting with that chick and i heard what you said i'm not really cool with it like dude i'll say anything to chicks man i'll say whatever i have to <laughs> get in her pants so i wouldn't take it too seriously dude dude it's the princess i can't let her think i'm like you know some wuss <laughs> i all about my friends and stuff <laughs> berserk is a high school drama yep well that's how it kind of was for guts i mean he, he had hurt feelings yeah <laughs> it, it's, it planted that seed it, I don't know. It's interesting because I mean, even now, when you you know, from Guts' point of view, even you know, the Beast, that's still like you know, the friend slash enemy mm-hmm. that grew right. with it. Yeah. You know that you know how he identifies him. You know, when it, I guess you know, obviously, he wouldn't be such an enemy if they weren't if he didn't have you know affection for him in the first place. Of course, I mean, yeah, that's that's part of what makes Berserk so special to me is that their relationship is not so clear cut. As as even guts probably would wish it it was, wishes it were you know if he was simply an enemy it would not be as, as difficult for him but yeah even in, uh, even in this most recent uh, episode I mean just when he you know when he he doesn't directly you know say does he or I mean did you get that in your transcriptions like he just sort of alludes to like dealing with Griffith yep, correct but it's like it's sort of unclear what that means at this point because he I mean he squinted his eye but it's not like the rage he's had previously. Mm. Oh and yeah, you're he, right. You're right. I feel, like not, I feel like he's let it go to a degree for Casca now, and he he wants to still deal with it. But I wonder. But yeah, that, that's why that's why that page was very interesting to me. Yeah. Was, you, you, you see Griffith, and you see this you know look on Gut's face, but it it's not what we normally associate like white hot anger with. It's just like I gotta deal with this shit too. Is basically the look yeah. on his face, you know, unresolved issues still, even though he wishes it wasn't that way. It's not. It's not. It's not, it's not something. Here's what I took from from that. It's not something he can walk away from. That's, that's yeah. the look I saw on his face. Um, that's all I had charted out for this particular part for Griffith. Um, we really kind of went all over the place, and that's that's fine. But uh, I guess if we went further with this, we'd go we'd do nine through twenty one or so. Uh, the the next part, the last part, would be what to expect moving forward and, and that whole child interaction thing. Although I'm not sure that's a whole podcast, but now we're talking a little inside baseball, <laughs> but uh, yeah. Are, are you guys comfortable with closing it there and moving on to something else or did you? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, sure. An adequate part one, even though we kind of spilled over into parts two and three. 
Well, no, I think that's good because we can sort of, you know, figure out what we didn't say this time and what we want to say next time. Yeah. All right. Well, then we will move on. I don't actually have a lot more anyway. Uh, games and stuff. Actually, I did have a couple of things. Uh, did you did you know there was um, another version of Cave Story out already, Griff? Oh my god! Yeah, I am aware <laughs> of that, and I'm plenty pissed about it because I bought the stupid thing mistakenly for. Oh. And I can only imagine if you're a real Cave Story fan, like you know, I enjoyed the game. I felt dumb for buying it. I, this was like in my 3DS, you know, heyday, the excitement, like oh, I get a Cave Story on here, all right. So I got the, you know, the, what was the, just the DS version, I guess the DSWare version, which, you know, it oh, sucks yeah. on your 3DS because it, you, you can only have so many of those because mm. it doesn't go on the SD card. It goes what? on the system memory. Yeah, it goes on the system memory, so it's limited. I actually I, I filled should... up my system memory with uh, DS, <laughs> DSWare games. Well, and I so I... then... Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Well, All was... right. Uh, what they, <laughs> they bring out... Bring out the, the the cartridge 3D one with the all new graphics, right? Which has like a 2D version, but now they've released the original version again in 3D as a 3DS title for the same price as the old DSWare one. Yes. And yeah, it just you know I have a lot of regrets there. There's, there are there are here's the problem with this series or this goddamn it's not even a fucking this game. Series. It's not a series. It's been milked to death so 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 much so that there is no longer a definitive version. Actually, there is a definitive version. It's on the PC and it was free. Yeah, it's the first one. It's the one that was free. Yeah. That, that was actually a fun little thing where now it's like, do, you know what? I don't need to see a 2D throwback game. Yeah. That was made in 3D like for no reason. The thing was, here's the problem I have with this remake is. I liked Cave Story. It was a fun little game. It made me think about, you know, the NES days and some Metroid stuff as well. But that's it. It wasn't like a phenomenon or revolution. But the way they're remaking it and giving it this focus, it's like shedding light on something that's starting to look ugly. You know, it's like, yeah, I, I get it. Yeah. I, I, it was a fun game, but don't cram it down my fucking throat every three months with a new re-release. Good God. I feel bad for the guy who made it, you know. Yeah. I mean, he's here to move on, make another game. I want to make another game. No, we need to do Cave Story 3D too. <laughs> That's what this essentially is. There's two 3D. There's two separate 3D versions of the game you can buy, and I think that's too many. Yeah, it's it's a, there's there's three releases, three re-releases of this game that I know of. And it's three too many, in my opinion. Although it's on, isn't it on the Wii as well? Yeah, you're right. It is. You're right. Yeah. No, it's that's like a, it's it's fine different. to port it. But then a completely different version than the one that's on the DS because it has new music and graphics and things like that. The re- the only reason I really got it was I haven't fully played through the game since I played it on PC like I don't know five or six years ago, and it, and it's a fun game and that's why I got it. And the graphics looked better. They're they're more it's more re- more representative of the original game than their most recent 3D remake was. So that's why I got it. <laughs> But my God, I like how we have to sort of, you know, split hair, you know, parse through the different 3D remakes. <laughs> the 3D is really, really bad, guys. Oh, man. So the basic, you know, deceit with the visuals is it's divided into two layers, the background elements, the foreground elements. That's it. Although mm. the 3D all the way on, it makes it look like the guy is walking like a mile back to go through a door. Like the door's right there. I'm hitting down the door. But he's like walking, 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 walking. It's just ridiculous. It looks really like fake. Like really, they just kind of, sort of made it work, and then say, "Yeah, here you go, 3D background." Speaking so, of like these 2D games, but because that it just seems like the laziest kind of like, "Hey, let's throw 3D on this 2D game," and it's like, "All right, so the background is going to be more in the background, or they're going to be popping out." Yeah, it, it's not called for at all. 
Yep. But it was Miyamoto apparently said that he thinks that like uh, a link to the past. Yep. He really wants to see a version of that on the 3DS. I I the look I would welcome that with open arms as long as it's authored, you know, well. You know, like I said the way the cave story one was done seems really back end. Like, yeah, let's sort of make this work from the back end, you know, not from the ground up. The way yeah. Miyamoto proposed it, it sounds like it'd be a ground up project. Well, you yeah. know, I, I'd actually prefer a new game in the style of uh, A Link to the Past rather than just a remake. You know, I mean, why is that at it? Of course. Might as well do something new. The Legend of Zelda live in the past. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty what much. Yeah. Going on? <laughs> of course, a newer game set in that style would be, you know, the best Zelda of all time, probably. But, well, I'll take what yeah. I can when it comes to. You know, siphoning out more childhood memories for me and Zelda and Link. That's fine with me. What else video games? Uh, I'm, I'm still the playing Diablo 3. <laughs> oh, my God. Alcohol. Really? I'm like, I'm yeah. starting to get pissed at you for this. This is ridiculous. Yeah, you, you should. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm mad at myself. I'm looking for a stopping point. I'm, I'm, I think I'm... Well, they, they recently added monster levels to the game. Right? They got monster power coming out. Monster power, monster power man. I got I can't leave right before that. <laughs> that mean you can multi uh, like more granularly, basically. It, it, I guess what it well, you know what it means. It's like if Inferno difficulty, which some people found you know basically impossible, wasn't hard enough for you, you can make it ten times harder. Oh, that sounds like a lot of fun. Yeah, that sounds like so much fun. It's basically like, hey, if you actually manage to beat our untested, like, really unfair, you can't win the game with, you know, drops, you know, like, difficulty level, you can yeah. make it ten times harder now. Oh. Apparently the appeal is, this is like for, like, I guess the end game content, you can now, like, make it so that you can get, like, the same drops at any point in the game on Inferno difficulty. So if you want to play, if you like Act 2, like, everyone basically plays the same part in Act 3 over and over again, farming experience, Ugh. gold and items. Which, you know, that's that's not fun, obviously. But this is supposed to make it so you can play any part in the game and find your sweet spot. Mm. And you know, as they describe it, I'm, I feel like a shill saying that, but you know, <laughs> you play any part in the game and get like good drops and stuff. So you can, you know, but it's like you're still replaying the same four acts. You know, if you're at this point, you've replayed the game four times already. And you know, I, and hit, I didn't really enjoy my fun through every plot. Yeah. My, my one time through the game wasn't like spectacular. I was like, yeah, oh, it was okay, I guess. You, you really liked it at first. Yeah. But uh, it, it, then it, Totally. I guess you. I guess you describe. I remember you said what killed it for you eventually was the. You know the the characters aren't unique. Yep. Yeah. You know you, you don't have a unique build that you feel anything for, and I, I kind of disagree with that a little bit. I came up with sort of a build that works for me to that I had to come up with to beat Inferno because I didn't. I'm not one of these people that has like literally billions of go, hundreds of billions of gold mm -hmm. <laughs> from exploits and such, or from playing. You know the auction house. Ugh. Yeah, you know, if you want to play Auction House 3, like, yeah, you know, I don't want to do that. So, you know, I had to come uh, up with a build to <laughs> to beat the game, you know, to get through it, to do everything, you know, that's actually relevant, you know, through the the actual game itself. Not the, like, hey, here's some fake levels to keep you busy. It takes a gazillion experience to get to level one of the fake levels, and there's a hundred of them. So have fun with this. It's like, what? God. Anyway, okay, I'm sorry. I've talked about this too much. Let's move on. <laughs> Our resident Diablo 3 correspondent, Griffith, signing off. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll, have, I'll have another update next time, I'm sure. 
it's been <laughs> it's been a while since we recorded. In between that time, I, I beat Dark Souls, and I'm not going to go too much more on this because I've said so much about it in a thread already. But it was an amazing game. I don't want to I don't want to overstate it too much, but it's one of my favorite games. Um, than Diablo three. Yes, it is. It is. It is. Mm, yes, it is better than Diablo three. Will I be able to get to level sixty? <laughs> I was level 80, 90. I can't remember when I beat the game. Wow. You can. You can get the levels stop really mattering at a certain point to me. Uh, yeah. I, I stopped investing. Yeah. In leveling is more important. Well, Forge yeah. weapons and stuff to me. Yeah. Um, basically, the levels are sort of like a. If you're if you're dying a lot, add more health to your stats. It's like basically how it works. If you don't feel you're strong enough, add some more strength. But the game's gonna chug along at its own difficulty level, and you can just deal with it basically. But uh, after beating the game, I had a sensation that I get. I've had a couple times in my life with uh, books. Like uh, the two of my favorite books are Neverwhere and uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell. But the end of both of these books, I felt like I didn't want to finish it. Like I was like, I really, I'm enjoying this so much. It's one of my favorite experiences. I don't want to put this book down. You're sort of putting it off. Yeah. yeah. And as I, as I got to the end of Dark Souls and I beat it, I, I felt a sense of accomplishment because the last boss was extremely – for me, it was extremely difficult. But it's – honestly, I feel like – I don't know. You felt a sense of floss, right? Yeah, absolutely. It was like I'd yeah. gone through like a breakup or something. Like honestly, yeah. it was it – was, it was, it was, I know the feeling filled, filled with emotions. Like I did not want that experience to end, and now it's over. And sure, I could replay it, but that whole amazing time is now over. Yeah, the yeah, magic is over. The, same. the story is finished. Yeah, yeah. I know that feeling. A replay is a replay. You know what I felt like that most recently with mm. Infinite Space when I beat that. Yeah, same here. Yeah, man. and it got to a point where I was like the the story. I mean, it's so big anyway. Like that game. I mean, the plot. I mean, I th- I put at least like my first playthrough on that was at least eighty hours. Yeah. Yeah. And when you put that much time into something and you enjoy it that much and it's like it's good on so many levels, the plot and also like just building your your ships and everything. Yeah, you don't want it to end. And so I I guess you had the same thing with Dark Souls. The ending, the ending for Infinite Space particularly to me is very bittersweet as well because so many unresolved yeah. things. Yeah, yeah. actually. To go a little further with, with the way things resolve, but we probably will never get to find out what happens. Don't say so. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. But yeah, it was a Dark Souls is a great game. Very, very few things that made me feel that way. Particularly a game like Dark Souls that's that's it doesn't really open up to you. It, it's not something that's like gonna willingly bear its soul to you. You really have to kind of get in there and experience it yourself. Take the souls for yourself. <laughs> <laughs> this game, it's, it's like this game is a stranger, you know. <laughs> like, so I, I, um, I was. After Dark Souls, I started playing. I have a big backlog. Anybody that owns Steam has a big backlog of games. So I'm tearing through my backlog. I'm playing newer games like Borderlands 2. But all I can think of is like that one uh, that uh, Sinead O'Connor song. It's like, nothing compares to you, Dark Souls. <laughs> Everything else feels like. I'm looking at like, I was looking through the uh, Darksiders 2 images. Like, oh, you can buy a 50% off now. It looks like some kind of like Saturday morning cartoon version of Dark Souls. It looks like this big pile of shit. Like, why would I want to play that? I just finished one of the greatest games I've ever played. Like, what's the point? You know what you should play? Mm. Smite. Yeah, Smite you tell me that. pretty good. That's yeah. a, a good tra- topic transition. You, you get an invite to, uh, is it closed beta right now? 
Yeah, it's a closed beta, yeah. Smite, which is a third-person take on uh, MOBAs, is that right? Yeah, yeah, right, yeah. Like League of Legends and such, yeah. Yeah, it, you play uh, it's uh, from a third-person uh, point of view, so... It's a, it's a very interesting. I, I don't like uh, MOBA as much personally. I mean, I even uh, really don't like them. So, but yeah, it's it's pretty fun. You play five by five, you know, like a team of five versus another, and you play gods from you know, uh, you know, pantheons like there's the Greek gods, Romans, Egyptians, North and Hindu, and uh, there's like so far I think uh, around thirty of them have been revealed, and there'll be no. 25 or 24, and there'll be 30 in total for launch. And uh, yeah, it's pretty fun. It's it's honestly, it's uh, I would even say it's addictive. So yeah, What's, I have a lot of fun with that. Which character do you usually play as? Uh, I usually play as Bastet, which is a uh, Egyptian uh, goddess of cats. Um, she's a uh, you know she does a lot of damage. She's uh, a bit crunchy. She dies easily, but she moves fast and does a lot of damage. Yeah, it's a it's a pretty fun game. One thing I want to ask about this is, is, is the perspective actually changed the way you play it? Or is uh, it MOBA at its core, you know what I mean? Well, you know, there's still uh, creeps and such, and you uh, there's, uh, of course, one map. You've got lanes with uh, towers that defend it. You've got a, a Minotaur at the, you know, at the heart of your base. And when the Minotaur is killed, you know, you lose. So there are three phoenixes which defend it. You know, they can be damaged. They're like towers that, you know, regain health and respawn after they've been killed. And uh, from the phoenixes, spawn creeps that goes along the lanes. And, you know, uh, you know, I mean, opposite you, there's other, you know, towers, other phoenixes and such. And when you destroy the towers, they don't respawn, of course. And um, in the middle so, of that, there's a, there's a jungle where you can just, you know, gank others and such. So you've described MOBAs. Yeah. Yeah, so that's, that's- it's... Yeah, it's still pretty much uh, a game like that. But since you play, you know, from a third-person perspective, it's a lot more action-packed, at least okay. from my point of view. I mean, yeah. you run there's a lot of more, a lot more thrill, I would say. Yeah, that's that's part of why I could not get into Dota 2, apart from the fact that it's like an impenetrable game design to begin with. Is just uh, I I don't enjoy RTSs that much, and I don't care what anybody says. That's essentially an RTS. I mean, yeah, I mean, it started as an RTS mod, and yeah. that's still essentially what they are. And uh, the thing with Smite is it doesn't feel like that at all. Like they took the you know uh, team versus team aspect of the game and put it into a more actiony uh, you know gameplay style. And actually, it's it's very uh, it's very enjoyable for me. And since mm-hmm. it's free, that's why I encourage uh, all of you to try it out. Yeah, I keep meaning to click on it. It's just one of those things where, I mean, I'm, I'm sure you have the same problem. It's like I could yeah. click yes, but then I'd be invested in it, and then I'd be like, I'd be more and more hours away from... Yeah, of uh, course, yeah. I mean, I haven't had even much time to play it myself, so, yeah. yeah. Is it your brother playing it as well? Uh, yeah, yeah. Actually, my brother is the one who uh, you know invited me to the game, and okay. he's been playing it uh, quite a bunch. So, he's max level and, and such, and he plays with his... Uh, he has a friend which also plays a game, and They've been playing for a while, yeah. Hmm. Uh, I haven't been playing much more. I, uh, I'm at the end of Borderlands 2. I'm really not enjoying it at all. So that's about it for me. Mm. Yeah, he didn't even play the first Borderlands. Even you know, my dad loved the first Borderlands, and he, he's he been playing Diablo 3, too. Yeah. <laughs> he just, you know, Borderlands 2, just, it's just a very hollow game experience. It's just like, yep, there's more loot and more areas, and... 
we're going to try to strap a narrative to this, but boy, we're really bad at telling the story, so you're just going to have to deal with it. That's Borderlands <laughs> 2. What, uh, what, what is this too bad about RE6 we have in the notes? I'm curious. There's just been, okay, Resident Evil 6 came out uh, two weeks ago. People have been pretty much universally slamming it, apart from one aspect. Uh, apparently, uh, the mercenaries mode, once you learn the controls, is really awesome. But oh, yeah, isn't that a great, isn't that a great plus? But the actual yeah. game itself, the story, uh, even, is, even down to the character animations. Like, you know, one of the hallmarks of since Resident Evil 4 was you shoot a zombie or whatever in the shoulder or the leg and they react accordingly. They kind of like do like a zombie dance kind of thing. Like, or they'll like, or they'll, their shoulder will jump back and they'll exactly. sort of drag that way. They'll, yeah. So like basically the, the essence of that is you pull the trigger, something happens on screen and you feel the reaction from that. Like that's, that's the key element of the combat. Well, that's gone in Resident Evil 6. They couldn't bother to animate the characters that way. So you just shoot them and they get a little blood splatter like, as if it's like Doom 2 or something like that. <laughs> So, great. One of the key elements of what makes combat fun in Resident Evil is just stripped out. In addition to that, a lot of, there's a lot of additional quick-time elements. Uh, it was developed by a team. This is the, this is the core problem with the game. Uh, I, first of all, I haven't played it. I've just heard hours and hours and hours of people bitching about it on podcasts. So, <laughs> the people that made Resident Evil 5 and 4, uh, Shinji Mikami uh, foremost, no longer there. So, you have a team at Capcom that apart from art assets, uh, the fundamental team is completely new. So they're rebuilding, like kind of backwards engineering, what made Resident Evil 4 and 5 okay games. Well, 4 is amazing, but 5 is, eh, whatever. Uh, so trying to figure out what made those games work, and apparently it's a big whiff. Like there's more QTE elements. A lot of times it doesn't make sense. Like for Nobody ex- ever wanted more QTE elements in anything, like, <laughs> you know. So, like, dodging a boulder, sure. Like, it happens to Ms. Neil before, like, whatever. But what if you're just, like, crossing a rope? Well, there's a rope-crossing event in Resident Evil 6 where you have to, like, use the triggers, but at very particular timings on it. No. <laughs> if, if you mess it up once, it's an instant fall. You fall off the rope, and you have to start over, like, you know, a minute, a full minute back from the... <laughs> this happens multiple times in the game, apparently. There's a, there's a snowmobile sequence where you're riding a snowmobile. There's a sequence where you pilot vehicles in the game as well. Large vehicles. Was this the same team that did uh, Revelations? No, I don't think so. Maybe. Yeah, probably not. Because <laughs> uh, I, because I, I'd be, you know, I'm, I'm only curious because it would be, you know, I wonder if they, you know, because I enjoyed Revelations and I wonder if it would be like, you know, they somehow whipped well, on this one. Uh, probably, I think uh, the two games were developed, you know, in parallel. So you know, since yeah, you know, so Revelations didn't come out. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, let's hope uh, Resident Evil 7 will be done by the teams that did Revelations. I think they should well, this, personally. Well, this raises the question yeah. to me. The reason they changed it up in the first place with 4, which was amazing, was, you know, because they felt like it had gotten stale. And doesn't it feel like they're going in the wrong direction now? You know, like 4, 5, and 6. It sounds to me like this one's worse than 5. Oh, yeah. Yeah, like, by, by yeah, like that's the consensus. Like, doesn't it seem like... I feel like, you know, the move almost is to, like, try to make a more old-fashioned Resident Evil game at this point. I don't know. Like, yeah. I don't know what people actually want anymore is when, when it comes to that series. So like, here's the thing. I'm, I'm sure 6 will probably sell pretty well because it's an extremely well-known brand. Uh, but yeah. I wonder what it means for the next one. You know what I mean? Like, what, what's, what's that going to actually evolve into? Well, what I think, I mean, they'll probably continue with, like, this style with, I mean, maybe. But I feel like they might make also a... Uh, 
I don't know, like a classic version of a, like a, you know, something with just like a name, like Revelations, like mm-hmm. Resident Evil. I don't know, Revel, you know, Resident Evil Re- Revengeance, <laughs> where you get to be, uh, <laughs> where you get to walk around, like you know, basically from the third person, pers- like the old school style one with the fi- not not necessarily fixed grammar, maybe like Code Veronica. Yeah, like that style. I hated Code Veronica though. Yeah, well, you know, but did you hate the I, I because of the old school gameplay or because of uh no, because of the cross-dressing soap opera plot. Because of Alfred. Alfred, yes. <laughs> um crap, I forgot what I was going to say. Sorry. Basically Resident Evil uh I, I I think they should just probably start a new survival horror brand at this point, which yeah. is what uh Shinji Mikami is actually doing. He's 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 already announced he's 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 away from Capcom. He has his own company now. He's doing his own uh, new survival horror game. So everyone's kind of maybe they could bring back Dino Crisis. Yeah, <laughs> just just involve dinosaur zombies in some some way. You know, that'd be I'd be happy. With that. But yeah, I'd like to see the new graphic version of that. You know, back when after Jurassic Park, there had to be dinosaur games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the genre's fallen off. Did you ever play those Jurassic Park games for like Genesis and SNES? Oh, oh I, I played had the Genesis one. And I, I finished the the Super NES one actually. Wow! Oh my god, that look down one. Yeah, yeah, and you know when you get you when you got into the buildings, it was a like a FPS, you know, view style. Oh my god, you know, it, it, the game was bugged. I remember there were some parts I didn't know what you needed to. Anyway, I finished the game. Yeah, it was a uh, it was not easy. The uh, the the Genesis one actually had sort of a neat graphical style. It was like a little more realistic. Didn't, like, you, didn't you play as a raptor in that one? You could play as Grant <laughs> or as a raptor, which was, was interesting. An interesting choice. <laughs> yeah. And they actually made a sequel to that one in the same style. And the thing is, the game was like impossible. Mm. I remember like I could, you know, it was one of those games for Genesis where it's like if you and your friends played it, if you got to like level three... It was like, oh my god, <laughs> like this yeah. is amazing for level three. But like, I I remember like I, I think there wasn't even like cheat codes for it. Like there wasn't any, and it it was one of these things where even if you could like get god mode or something, you get to a point where it's like you're a velociraptor and you do these big awkward jumps and you have to land on tiny little ledges. Ooh, jump puzzles with a with a Genesis controller too. Great. Yeah. Where it's like impo- where it's like really the jump is impossible. I need to double jump like <laughs> on two little ledges. Like oh my god. So yeah, it was one of those games, but I, I do remember it very well. I put a lot of hours into that crappy game, playing the first two levels. So check this out. We're all relatively the same age, right? Jurassic Park comes out. Of course, it's like a kid's dream for that movie to be in existence about big dinosaurs in real life. And like, then, of course, dinosaurs. we're of that we're of that age where movie licensed games are like you know, yeah, it sounds like a great idea. <laughs> now we're all grown up and we're you know wandering through GameStop and seeing some kid pick up the newest movie license game and all I feel is derision at his decision but you know yeah. I was probably in the same boat at the time Jurassic Park oh yeah great game <laughs> yeah it's yeah. a great movie gonna be a great game I'm gonna get to see the dinosaurs yeah now I'm, it's uh, gonna be like I'm there though I remember people were excited remember the Jurassic Park on like what was it Sega CD or the you're one of the, it was like a point and click one. Oh, okay. I thought you were talking it's about like Mist. First, no. It's like Jurassic Park Mist. I don't. I, the only one, I, the only other game I know about is is Trespasser, which is that first person one where you uh, actively control your arm, like you 
drag your arm with the mouse to interact with things. Like you're some, <laughs> like have you ever? I played I play a little bit of it uh, in retrospect, but have you ever? Uh, if your arm's asleep, right, and you hold your arm with your other arm, shake <laughs> it around. That's what this game felt like. <laughs> you're a guy holding another guy's, you know, cut off arm. That's what it feels like. It feels like pick up boxes, so you end up like slapping it like you have no feeling in your arm, pushing <laughs> it around. Really hilariously bad game. But yeah, you play as a as a human in that, but not a rap. They don't even. I feel like movie adaptations from games aren't even as prevalent anymore. Like with you know, like they didn't do like the Dark Knight like adaptation. There's, they made the Arkham sure. Asylum. They're still out there, man. They're, they're maybe yeah, they're, they're still like the Amazing Spider Man came out for yeah, all those yeah. Marvel properties. Get milked to hell for sure. But uh, actually, I've I've seen a lot of movie licensed properties come become iOS games now. Is what is what the hot thing to do is uh, throughout the summer. Every big summer movie had an iOS version that, of course, shot to the shot to the top of the one to twenty five app store. It's basically yeah, like cross advertising at that point. It's like the game is just to advertise the movie essentially. Oh yeah, the Angry Birds made a version of Angry Birds to promote some new movie for uh, I can't remember what it was now, but. Uh, anyway, they, they, yeah, that that, that kind of shit happens now. Where just cross. Oh, wait a minute. You know what I want to talk about? I actually wanted to talk about this on the the board, maybe. But if you guys have been seeing, I've been seeing Amsterdam forever, and I have finally, you know, gotten a handle on what it was and looked at the trailers. This Wreck It Ralph movie from Disney. I've seen. Oh yeah, Wreck It Ralph. Yeah, I saw the trailer. Why actually has all these these prominent like video game characters in it? Like Zangief yeah. has a speaking part. King Koopa's in it. Sonic the Hedgehog. Why is Why is Zangief a villain? Yeah, good question. <laughs> There's no, get, good, there's no good explanation for that. I always should've, thought of should've should've villain, been bison. He's a communist, so. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much the reason, because he's a communist, you know. Yeah, but, uh, no, it was just one of these, uh, but I'm just wondering about this, because no one's talking about this movie. I haven't even seen anything on the board, unless I just missed it, people talking about it. And it makes me wonder, like, if Pix, this is a Disney uh, animated movie, and it's amazing to me that the new Disney animated movie, like, in the same hierarchy or not hierarchy but it's basically the heir to like the lion king and everything else like that the latest one in that line is about you know like is this totally video game centric movie which would you know you think would be exciting it's a no one seems to be talking about it i wonder if people aren't aware i feel like if pixar were making this everyone would be shitting their pants i don't know yeah. i think it's That's, just <laughs> to me it seems like the concept itself is not necessarily rife with <laughs> excitement uh, as they might, as it might work on paper. Like I'm just, I don't know. Like a a a fake back ended version of video game characters come to life. I, I'm not excited about that. I don't, I don't know. I'll, I'll well, see it for the, the main characters are fake, but they've actually got the real video game characters oh. in the background, which is weird. <laughs> yeah, and you know, I actually, I found just you know within the trailer, I found the character you know enduring. So and yeah. I like the, the fake games is uh, you know took it from so yeah I think I think it's pretty honestly I was pretty interested in the movie and uh, I'll be watching it whenever it's out but it's true yeah, I only, haven't heard anything it about like it a, yeah yeah like no one there's no heat on this like even on you know like where you think it would be online like on the you know game forums and things do you think people would be talking about you know it, it's just sort of a weird thing like the last isn't the last movie Disney did like what was it that Rapunzel thing which is their usual mo. Right. Yeah. And now they're doing this movie that's celebrating sort of video games, and it's sort of a I don't know. I think I think people that play video games have a kind of a tortured relationship with any movie adaptation of anything video game related. <laughs> yeah. So we, I mean, personally, to me, I have like an, a wait and see attitude. Like I'm not excited about it, but 
Well, that's the thing. Like, I'll probably go check it out. But what's what I said earlier? If Pixar were doing it, I think everyone would be like appropriately excited. But it's like, sure. I think there's like, oh, Disney's doing it. Well, you know, we'll see. <laughs> oh, even if Pixar was attached to, to me, Pixar is no longer a home run like licensing yeah. to me anymore. I mean, I like Brave a lot, but Cars two, and now you're making a Cars three. I don't know, guys. You know? <laughs> Are they really Cars? Yeah. Like, you know what Cars is for though? That's like the one that's like. Because these Pixar movies, it's like, hey, if you're a kid or an adult, you can love it. I feel like Cars, like I feel like little boys would just love that movie. Well, actually, it's. Like, it's do you like buying toys? Because we have a lot of them for Cars. Do you like buying Cars two underwear and pants? We got those too. That's what Cars. That's why Cars exists. Yeah, for yeah, That's why it's a major property. Yep. But yeah, the only thing I saw in Wreck It Ralph that looked like you know a, a negative was the Sarah Silverman character, which is this annoying little girl which is sort of like why is she in the mo- i feel like she's in the movie because someone felt like they needed a character like this in the movie she's yeah. still, but it's, she still has a career <laughs> but they, they really it's like they really could have not had this character and it would have been better like as said like the record ralph character was endearing she's like sort of the anti-endearing character mm. that being said her banter with uh, ralph at the end of the trailer actually made me laugh so i can't okay. you know complain too much about her <laughs> yeah, she's a little weird she plays, you know, some kind of uh, stupid kid, you know, and uh, oh, yeah, she right. does stupid kid things. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I'll, I don't know. I'm not super excited to see it, but again, yeah. if it's a great. I was seeing, I was, I've been seeing like benches, like with this Ralph, you know, this video game face on it. But I was like, I don't know this character. This looks like a made-up video game character, and that's what it turned yeah. out to to be. To be. So it looks like he's kind of based on something like Donkey Kong and Rampage put together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and. Uh, yeah, I don't know, and I guess fi- Fix It Felix is their Mario guy. Yeah. Right, right, right. Voiced by the guy from 30 Rock, apparently. Little ha- half-retarded guy. Who's the guy from, oh, 30, okay, 30 Rock. I, I thought you meant Third Rock from the Sun. No, no, no. <laughs> He's Fresh a Looper Lord, now. Tommy? Like, John Lithgow? <laughs> Speaking of which, I saw Looper. Ah. Oh, I didn't. It was okay. I haven't seen it either. Uh, you should, I guess you should, I guess you should see it. Yeah, I kind of what? made a deal out of it on the, uh, in the thread. Yeah. But, uh, who, wait, who made a deal of it? I did. I, I just posted the trailers and said, this looks like it could be, you know, okay, semi-interesting. Yeah. It was like, it's sort of like it belongs in the movies to like, you know, shrug about thread. Like, eh, you know, maybe. Yeah, that's that. <laughs> it, it, it belongs firmly in movies to shrug about thread. Yeah, like, like you I, know, I don't. There, there are some great moments, and there are some moments like, oh, okay, sure, why not? Why not? Okay, that was that was how I felt the whole the whole movie. Mm. If you like time travel, though, it is technically a time travel movie, and that's that's no secret. They deal with that in the opening. Moving on, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Tell them member questions. I'm not going to do them all. We're going to get a couple of them. <clears throat> Uh, I'm, I mistakenly had asked people to ask about Griffith related questions, not thinking that they're going to ask the same questions that I'm going to pose to you guys throughout the whole podcast. So yeah, we actually went over like, <laughs> yeah, it's like, I don't, some of these aren't going to make a lot of sense. So I should probably just ask for general questions in the future. Um, uh, we already addressed that one. Uh, okay. We'll, we'll talk about this one from this guy asked three questions. We're going to do one. Mm-hmm. Berserk MJM asks, in what ways could you see the dynamic between Griffith and Charlotte playing out going forward? Uh, I think you guys remember personal this before. Uh, I, I don't know. Well, 
go ahead. That's that's kind of a big question. I think uh, it should be reserved for the third part of the podcast. You know. Okay, that's fine. Yeah, that's a good idea. All the yeah. other, both the other two are side of the sort of the same way. So just we'll just say we'll get to those later. Yeah, I think Braille's question is like <laughs> pretty appropriate for user que- member questions. Okay, I can do that. Grail asks if you had to make a list of your top three Hirozawa songs, what would they be? To me, it's really pretty easy. Uh, top three is it had to be like one, two, and three? It's crap. I didn't really think about it that way. <laughs> for, for me, it's like it's like Sign Forces and probably something off of um, Kusai no Giho, uh, his '96 album. I can't remember which one though. But the third one's probably reserved for non-Berserk. Mine are all going to be Berserk. It's going to – I think – I don't even think I'd put Forces in there. It's just too obvious. I mean it's like it's the most famous. And it's like I feel like – you know, I'm not going to use a spot on it. But yes, I'm going to put Sign in there. Yeah. And probably – I'm probably Murder. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yes, that's my throw, number three. Shit, yeah. Yeah, throw Murder in there. And – uh and then it's just it would just be something probably from that first berserk set. I mean, it could be any. It could be, I'm basically I could leave the third spot empty for like a. It would be rotating. It would be like it could be guts on one day. It could be how about Earth. How about ball? Ball. There we go. Ball. That's <laughs> yeah. my favorite. That's ball. Right. Ghosts and uh, <laughs> ghosts. Yeah. Yeah, it's the best. My favorite. You know what? I don't have a problem with ghosts. Your ghost bashing is going too far. <laughs> <laughs> ghosts. It's not as bad man. as ball. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> What I like about um, Ghosts, I think it is that you hear part of Ghosts again in um, Zod. Sorry, I was playing Ghosts on my speakers. You hear it again on the Dreamcast soundtrack that they call the track Zod 2, even though it's pulling themes from Ghosts. So maybe. Actually, I'm pretty sure the Zod 2 track is following to Monster or Fear. I think Fear was originally called Zod and they changed it. That's the confusion. Okay, got it. All right. As, yeah. As well, anyway, yeah, it would probably be. Ghost ball. And... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Ghost balls. That's uh, yeah, the story of my life. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now you know why I don't have children. Anyway, uh, yeah, I don't know. Probably uh, sign, uh, you know, murder and guts, I guess. Hmm. But I also like some of his non-Berserk stuff. But uh, yeah, I, I really like Guts. Uh, I really like uh, Murder. And uh, yeah, I like Sign quite a lot as well. So <laughs> yeah. I love that that I'm going to have that wave from now on with you saying how much you, you, you really like Murder. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I did my time, man. Come on, I paid my debt. You don't sound like you have a lot of remorse to me. <laughs> well... I want to I wanna speak to my lawyer. Yeah. If you're ever on trial, we're going to bring in a tape recorder with you. Like, I really like murder. <laughs> well, that seals the deal for that case. Yeah. Next question comes from the three branded w- w- zero in three. <laughs> asks uh, two questions. The first question we're going to save for future podcasts. But next question is any memorable anecdotes from your jobs? I'm sure Walter has a couple. Yeah, I got I have a couple. Uh, this is I, I tell this story uh, often because it's one of my more I don't know hilarious occurrences in my job. So if people don't know, I'm a reporter. I've been a reporter since 2005. Actually, it's seven years this month, almost like this week. So it's been a long time. But uh, 
I'm not like big city reporter. I cover for the most part community news because uh, I like covering small town government. It's my favorite thing to do is government. But um, one of the things I do uh, when I started out as a daily reporter, I was in Tennessee, which is where me and my wife ended up because she was studying at Vanderbilt. So I'm studying and I'm learning. I'm sorry. I'm working at a uh, kind of a between the kind of a mediocre sized town. Let's say twenty five thousand people. The mayor of which is called uh, the town's called Spring Hill, and the mayor of this area of Tennessee has a very unique accent. He says the words. He pronounces Spring Hill like this: Sprang Hill. It's like he sprang his heel is the way he pronounces it. But that's just the that's at the tip of the iceberg. The guy's accent is almost impenetrable. So. I often had difficulty, even though I'm from the South, I should be able to determine Southern accents. For people that don't know, Georgian accent, where I'm from, is quite a bit different than a Tennessee accent, which is different from a North Carolina accent. You know, it's all, all the South has different feels for a Southern accent. So I'm interviewing the mayor about an outgoing planning commission chairman. Uh, and I'm basically asking him, like, kind of the, the, the uh, modus operandi of this kind of story is like, what do you think this guy brought to the table and what will you miss with him gone? You know, that kind of crap. And uh, so he's saying, well, this guy was really determined. He was dependable. He was just a great guy. You know, he was the definition of Buffalo. And I was like, oh, okay, so he was hardworking and dependable. Cool. Um, that makes sense. So I'm ty- ty- typing down notes. Put the story together, and my editor comes back to me, and he says, he was determined. He was dependable. He was the definition of a buffalo. And I said, <laughs> and I said, yeah, I mean, he's saying, he's saying like a buffalo. I mean, it makes sense to me. A buffalo was hardworking and determined. That makes sense, right? It makes sense. Yeah. diverting. And then the guy just yep. said like, okay, whatever. And so story runs. And the next day I get a call from the mayor and the mayor says, uh, Frank, were we talking about buffalo? And I said, uh, yeah, you were saying the dude had, you know, Buffalo-like qualities. He was hardworking and de- determined and dependable. He even said he was a great guy. He was the definition of a buffalo. He said, I think I said he may have been the definition of both of those. Both of those. <laughs> he was saying both of those determined and dependable. The thing is, he had like three or four things and then said the definition of both of those. So that threw me off. So I'm like, no, no, you said buffalo. You were saying he was hardworking <laughs> I listened to it, and the first time I heard the recording again, I said, yeah, it fucking says Buffalo. The second time I heard it, it was like, oh, no, you said both of those. Shit. So I had to call him back and say, yeah, maybe you said both of those. So then I had to run a correction. The correction ran something like this, like, the mayor of Spring Hill did not say anything about Buffalo. (laughs) He said those. So that was like the lowest points of my career, but it was also a hilarious story. I mean, my boss at the time kind of like laughed it off. It was not like a huge thing, but obviously misquoting the mayor. Was never like, at least with a funny story. So, yeah. I, I, already, I already gave mine with the, the rat. So Yeah, yeah that, was, that wasn't your job, though, was it? No, that wasn't my job. Yeah, so you got to create another rat story. <laughs> I got to have another one? I, that's not job related. It doesn't qualify for th- three branded zero three question. No, no, it was job related. I was taking out garbage at work. <laughs> it just, I didn't have to, it was like, I elect, it was an elective, which made it all the worse that I, it was like, why did I do this? <laughs> like, oh, I missed that. Yeah. I would love to hear what amusing anecdotes Azil has at his job. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, actually, yeah, I've got, you know, 
many, but uh, it would be a bit long to explain, I guess. Uh, you know, I work on websites uh, at my workplace. I'm some kind of, you know, like a webmaster, but that doesn't really mean shit. So anyway, uh, I've been the same company for something like six years now, and uh, it's a relatively big company by my standards, which means we must have around, I don't know, a thousand people maybe. And um, yeah, I guess this one time uh, I was complaining to the site that, uh, you know, we, we had a lot of, uh, you know, all the, 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 you know, leaders of the company are cheap stakes. They bought the company a while ago and uh, they're going to sell it off to another group, you know, this kind of stuff. So anyway, next year, so they're offloading people and they're just generally just, you know, giving themselves money. And uh, when it comes to the actual products we sell and such, you know, you know, they don't give a shit. So anyway, we, we had a lot of uh, trouble with the servers, which uh, were not running very well. And so the sites were down. And, and since we have a lot of media sites, you know, when the viewers can't see the website, when it can't be referenced, you know, or Google gets, uh, you know, error pages, it's, it's really terrible. And, uh, and so I was talking to the, you know, SEO guys, you know, search engine optimization guys about this, just, you know, informal emails. And uh, there was a you know a group in Copy called SU Group anyway, and I was just saying, oh yeah, yeah, well, they've, they've been trouble for a while, whatever. And um, one guy at the company, which uh, I didn't realize was within that group, is uh, I don't know how I'd say so, not uh, the CEO of the company, but I guess a guy a bit under that, you know, like COO or something like that. Anyway, and so this guy was there and he started replying, you know, a lot of people was in copy of this email. So he started re replying to me and telling me that uh, in short, I was just, you know, saying bullshit and uh, I was wrong. And if I could please not say this kind of stuff uh, in this kind of context, it would be very much appreciated. So the guy was really reacted, you know, you know, overreacted, reacting, I guess. And at the time I was a bit pissed off for various reasons. So I just replied to him to go fuck himself, in short, with uh, everybody in copy. And uh, I told him I, I would say whatever I wanted, uh, wherever I wanted, to whoever I wanted, and uh, yeah, it would be like that. So, you know, you know, a lot of people came to see me to tell me, oh, what are you doing? Are you crazy? You, you're mad, man. So uh, he ended up replying, putting the, you know, director of human resources in copy, as well as my direct manager, and uh, telling, telling me that... Uh, as a matter of fact, I, I couldn't say just whatever, whatever I wanted, and uh, we would uh, finish talking about this uh, in his office, you know, pri privately. And I just replied, you know, putting those two guys in copy as well, and uh, all the other guys uh, that were originating copy back, you know, in the email, that uh, sure, I I'd love to, you know, go and speak with him in his office, and we could talk about my raise, you know, while we were at it. <laughs> And I and I ended it with a smiley. And uh, to this day, it's been uh, like that was at the beginning of the year. And to this day, the guy who actually could have called me in his office, and you know, if he did, I, I wouldn't have, you know, I mean, I wouldn't have been a dickhead. I mean, he has power over me, so I would have been, you know, humble and just apologize. But he has never called me back. And whenever I you know cross him in the corridors and such, he just, you know, averts his gaze and just pretend I'm not here. And, and it's, it's quite, you know, actually, it's quite ridiculous because, uh, yeah, I don't know. He's just a moron. The workplace <laughs> sounds like a really fun and open environment to me. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's a lot of idiots there, but for some reason, I, I've got some kind of, you know, as ascendant over most of them, so nobody really bothers me. Was also the fact uh, 
I mean, compared to what I do, I'm not paid, you know, very well. So I guess firing me would be a hassle for them. You know, yeah. it's better to just have me around and tolerate whatever I do. So, don't you also have a picture of a gun next to your desk? Yeah, I had a picture to a to a gun actually. Uh, CZ, uh, <laughs> you know, it was a how to say it was a cut string all the pieces. I printed it in a A3 format and put it yeah. next to my desk. As well have pictures of the French army and such as that. It's just some stuff I got for free. I just put it to decorate. And uh, yeah, during my uh, annual uh, review, they told me you know, if I could please remove it because it was uh, scaring uh, some people, you know. <laughs> they were afraid of me. And so I actually removed it because they insisted. At the time, I didn't care. I left it off. But they insisted and, you know, sent me oh, emails really? and such. Yeah. So I removed it and put a big picture of a water gun, a pink water gun instead. And, uh, <laughs> nice, dude. Yeah. And, it, and it's still there, actually. <laughs> and they haven't oh. said anything about it. Yeah. You know, I'm, uh, yeah, I'm quite a number, I have to say. <laughs> yeah. The water, Not exact- gun, the, water, the water gun thing should have been your amusing anecdote. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, I've got really tons of them. I mean, I, I've done, you know, back in the day when we were at our previous location, um, we used to, there was a summer where, you know, we're French, so we had a lot of booze, you know, even at work, you know, for when there's like parties a, and such. What a stereotype. Be sensitive to the French. Yeah, so, yeah, anyway, so we had a lot of booze and like, you know, wine bottles, red wine opened without a, a cap, you know, so the thing is, you know, just stayed open for a year and we would drink this shit, like, you know, for lunch. <laughs> It was just, you know, yeah, I mean, I'm not going to say it was very fine or anything. And so we would just cut the light. It mm. was in a, in a, in some uh, room without windows because at the time we were in a pretty shitty location for, for work. And we'd just be drinking this shit or drinking, you know, coffees and putting, you know, you know whiskey in it or, you know, all just very cheap and very shitty booze and just emptying all the booze we could find in the, in the place because we were bored of the cards. Yeah. And at what time the president of the company came by and... Uh, you know, it was at the beginning of the iPhone craze. Mm-hmm. So one of uh, my workers had a brand new, I think it was an iPhone uh, 3G. And he was putting uh, Bob Marley on there, like, you know, jamming, something like that. And so we were in the dark, six guys <laughs> drinking whiskey <laughs> and listening to, to jamming. The, <laughs> yeah, and the guy goes by and says, what the fuck are you guys doing? <laughs> and we're like, oh, well, you know, just, you know. Taking a break, and you know, well, I say it was for lunch, but uh, it was like two uh, thirty or something like that. So yeah, yeah. Well, that reminds me, Griff. I wanted to ask you something. Uh, whenever someone says that's all I want to do, do you know what comes to my mind? Oh my god, uh, memo. <laughs> <laughs> memo. Yeah. So, Griff, you know, one of your, your high school guidance counselors has like a Rastafarian band. Uh, he wasn't right? one of my high school guys. Oh, he he is a high school guidance counselor, <laughs> but he was a friend of a friend, actually. Or he's, he used to be uh, the high school guy. Yeah, he's a high school guidance counselor. We had a Rastafarian band, and <laughs> his name is Memo, and that's the name of the band. And I actually had a, and I've got his CD, which we actually discovered like isn't in any sort of like, it's not tuned to any key that exists. It's like because of some God. tricks of recording. Like and not anything intentional. It's just you know messed up. All these different tracks put together. Like it's actually sort of between keys and notes, <laughs> so it's hard to tune for it. But uh, yeah, it's funny you bring him up because uh, I had a chance to play with the Memo Band no. at uh, 
uh, at the Strawberry Festival here, and uh, I think it's the Oxnard Strawberry Festival. Wait, but so I, this, I guy's, this, this guy's still around? He's still making music? It was like a one-time midlife crisis thing. Like I'm gonna be. No, no, no. Party. He's still the. Uh, in the, the Strawberry Festival gets real axed too. Huh. Like that's the weird thing. They've, I mean, I I forget. Uh, I think like the Eagles played there or something once, or at least uh, like some members. And, Maybe I've and, never been paying this guy proper respect. I've always thought he was kind of just hilarious, but apparently he's no, he's hilarious still. But, uh, <laughs> okay. no, I mean, he's not he's not up there with like the Eagles or anything. This is still like there's a reason I was being asked to like fill <laughs> but, Oh, I see. Yeah. But I I uh, I couldn't because uh, I was just I was graduating and I you know I'd have to learn like the songs and everything and I wanted to make sure that I could you know that I didn't blow my finals essentially because I was practicing for memo. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I had a, I had a lot of pressure. People like, oh man, you have to play with Memo. <laughs> <laughs> what was the name of his album? Cha Cha is. That's right. That's right. Yeah, I've got a T-shirt actually. Oh, that's that. Maybe I should send that to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I would appreciate it, and also a copy of the Memo CD because I've lost all of my tracks. Oh well, I'll I'll get you I'll get you the music in any case. Oh, all I have is a WAV file of him saying, "That's all I want to do." Good stuff. I guess that's it for the show, guys. Thanks for joining me, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Pleasure as always. Yeah. Oh, I guess next time we'll have an episode for Berserk and Griffith again. We're doing it again? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of exciting. All right, guys. Thanks for hanging out with us. See ya.